In every generation, there is a chosen one. A show that becomes a pop culture juggernaut. We're talking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The Bachelor. Breaking Bad. Game of Thrones. And sometimes a series will come and go without anyone even noticing. Some are canceled in their prime. And others never should have seen the light of day. Regardless of the reason, we are here to guide you through all the shows that were gone too soon. They may have only been on air for one season or less, but the drama, the joy, it'll all be remembered here and now. I'm Abby. And I'm Roberto. And this is Dearly Departed. Buckle up, everyone. Get comfy. Close your windows. And disinfect your workspace. It's time for Zero Hour Part Part two. 2. Dearly Departed, are you listening? We will remember all about you. When you were canceled, we were trembling. We can't believe that they would doubt you. We won't forget you and the rest. Dearly departed, dearly departed. Oh dear. We did it. Oh, we're back. It literally took a global <laughs> pandemic for us to sit down and record. That's what it took for us to watch Zero Hour. That's the motivation that we needed. We needed to literally have no escape from this apartment and nowhere else to go in order to commit to watching Zero Hour. It's true. It's true. But so much has happened between us, you know, watching that first batch of Zero Hour and, and now, you know, like... Jobs were given. Jobs were taken away. That's, that's true. Mirrors were cracked. My car was shattered. My car was stolen. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, my my livelihood was taken into question. We've lived lives, but now in these past few months, globally, as we're all suffering together, yeah, in ultimate turmoil, <laughs> we have to fill all of the dead air and the empty space in our apartments that we're now locked in with podcasts. And don't you worry, guys, we are not going to focus or harp on, you know, the dark times that we're living we're not, in. We're not, look, we're not going to talk about the coronavirus. We're going to talk about zero hour. But I will say it may come up in, in, in contextually, like, us as audience members. Our emotions. What we're going through. Obviously, things have shifted emotionally. Um, And there's just something about watching a canceled 2014 sort of Da Vinci Code-esque show about the apocalypse Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. a global pandemic, during quarantine. It's really hitting. It's changed our relationship to the show for sure. Um, So we're not going to recap. So hopefully you listened to our last zero hour episode if not or if you forgot because it's been so fucking long just listen to it again just get us those clicks get us those fucking plays i mean look all you need to know is clocks and jesus and nazis not even really jesus though more just the cross of christ right right so this episode we're going to cover episodes five six seven eight and nine we're going to be covering five episodes today yeah so it's going to be speedy it's going to be jaunty it's going to be wine induced wine induced there will be at least seven clocks mentioned (laughs) more definitely more one wooden carving sculpture of christ at least 
two haunted churches, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at least one crypt, at least one morgue, yeah. um, at least two labs where genetic experiments are taking place. Right, right. And several countries. Do not forget the, um, some would call them unbearable flashbacks. Um, oh, the flashbacks get really just about robust. So, also, I want to mention that going into episode five, the style of the cinematography, the style of the camera work, has changed. Someone got fired. Someone got fired. Someone got replaced. Correct. Because now the the whole episode five like literally gave me a headache because the camera is constantly whipping around and moving and like Dutch angles and like zoom zip zap zip zap like all throughout the dialogue it's too much motion the thing is that the shaky cam transitions in the beautiful life had more artistic merit (laughs) and I'll say that (laughs) than the constant shaky cam on the record it's just characters in an office like doing research (laughs) but with shaky cam it just doesn't have the same resonance right as like beautiful models stomping through new york it's true so episode five of course opens with the same clock opening as all the other episodes four is the number of seasons we have our little voiceover poem life comes full cycle first death then birth and it's, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't it sound to you like the voice of White, White Vincent. Vincent? Yeah, I think it is the actor who plays White Vincent mm-hmm. doing the VOs. So at the end of episode four, we got introduced to the boss lady with the curly hair. Mm-hmm. Um, over the five episodes that Roberto and I watched um, this week, we did not retain her name <laughs> at any point. Um, we are starting to learn character names. Hers just doesn't happen to be one of them. So the boss lady... Um, opens episode five Mm -hmm. and she's giving a lesson to the the haunted child right um who is her go-between with white vincent and herself now didn't it kind of give you vc andrews vibes like like you know this woman has locked children in attics you know that you don't get a ghoulish child like that on the first try yeah you know she's up to no good because this kid is not right Right. Um, and something's been done to him to make him this way. Yeah. Um, that I don't, there, there was no like notable dialogue in the scene. Um, he's giving her news from White Vincent. It's just like in code. He's just like handing her his little notepad that also have all of his little codes on it. Mm-hmm. Now, Hank is in the office and he is dealing with, oh no, he's at home and he's dealing with. The emotional fallout of finding out that Layla is not who she says she is. She's abandoned him. Of course, she's run off with his clocks. And (laughs) they had been married for five years and they were desperately in love. And it turns out her name isn't even Layla. I mean, he's just sent a spiral. But um, his, his thoughts are he thinks that Layla has been trained by someone to track down these clocks. He feels immediately he comes to the conclusion that their marriage was a lie in order for her to be close to him to be a part of research or whatever and find these clocks like he just he just knows he's a target and he's upset I he's mean, upset but he's coming to terms he's with the breaking truth. things it really felt like that scene was probably in his emmy consideration reel well i was i did write down that he goes full citizen kane on their house yeah he's like tearing up the house looking for clues he smashes a photo of them like he's 
he's running through the house, opening every drawer. He's looking for like evidence of her duplicity. He wants to find it in the apartment. And um, eventually he has a memory of her with this bird feeder. I guess she really likes this bird feeder. Like that was all I got out of the memory. There's se- the flashbacks are sepia toned. I don't know if they were in the previous episodes, but they're very um, like muted sepia tone. Yeah. And she's oh she's messing with this bird feeder, and Hank goes to the bird feeder, opens it, and immediately finds um, a skeleton key. I guess maybe it's just a normal key, but it's it, it, an old key. You can say a skeleton key. I, I can say it because they're not going to look it up, and you're it's not going to know if I'm lying or not. He finds a key in the bird feeder, and it has like a symbol carved on it, and it's like an old key. So evidence. Oh my god, <laughs> she's a traitor. <laughs> um, <laughs> We are breaking it down in our heads, just from our memories, the shepherds versus the pirates. We know that this is like the big overarching, um, you know, competition between these two groups that are essentially religious cults. The shepherds are the people who made the clocks, the Rosicrucian sect, and they protect the clocks because they want to protect what's at the end of the map, which is, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ himself. The pirates, or the great pirates, are the people who are hunting down the clocks. They're the ones that are supposedly up to no good, but kind of both the cults are up to no good. Like, I don't fucking trust either of them. But the question on everyone's mind, who is Layla working for? Is she a shepherd or a pirate? Can I just say, not to veer away from the show, but you're purple hair right now is looking so beautiful it's looking a nice lilac yes three days into quarantine um was it even three days in no two days into quarantine (laughs) i had to add some purple to my hair and then two days later i had to add more purple to my hair but i washed my hair yesterday and it's already fading i think it's it's a nice color it's manic panic it's pretty i mean i used to have like fun colored hair when i was in college and i was like more androgynous and like more sort of I went through a lot of phases Mm -hmm. I feel like I've really been finding myself and and this um quarantine has helped me find my true style which is um maroon sweatpants with a maroon (laughs) sweatshirt on top but two different shades of maroon um and then I did find some maroon socks um, but at the moment I'm wearing my black sweatshirt with my black leggings I really liked when you wore the snake skin uh um what is it? The snakeskin t-shirt. The snakeskin the t-shirt, neck. the mock yeah. neck with uh, the pink cardigan. Yes. Well, at one point <laughs> I did wear the snakeskin, or no, on St. Patrick's Day, yeah. I wore green t-shirt with my green snakeskin pants. Yeah. But that was back when I was still putting on pants with buttons. Um, <laughs> that ship has fucking sailed. Yeah. Um, I will say that the reason why it took us so long to quote unquote set up for this episode is because I was on my computer over here on Fashion Nova buying a, a, swe- a sweater set. Like knit pants with a little knit cropped on. Wait, I'm so excited to see They're that. having a super duper sale. I think on I got... On Fashion Nova? Yeah, I mean, I got like 30% off. I mean, I'm definitely going to have to check it out after we're done recording. Also, I don't endorse Fashion Nova, and I'm against fast fashion. Fast fashion. Um, so this is not an endorsement. However, um, We will I, be posting a photo as soon as they arrive. Look, I can't endorse it, but I'm also unemployed. <laughs> I can't afford to buy anything other than fast fashion right now, let's be honest. I can't go thrifting. Thrifting is not the move right now. Those stores are fucking hey now, closed. You ordered from Kenzie's amazing vintage That's true. store. Etsy, my friend, 
at Hill Valley Vintage Co. That's right. Big endorsement. If you want sustainably sourced, amazing collection, vintage clothes, she's not going out and digging through you know people's shit to get the clothes now because she just has a huge inventory still and she's still making new listings and new sales. Go on Etsy, fucking check buy it that out. Shit. Both I men's her and logo, women's stuff, and her logo is gorgeous, as yeah. designed by yours truly. Back to the fucking show, right, which you had me on like a tangent about my hair. I'm not like, mad. So who is Layla working for? I don't particularly care, but <laughs> we will find out. So the haunted child um, has once again met up with White Vincent, and he has news from the boss lady. Um, White reads the the note, and it says that boss lady is looking to replace him. She is really disappointed with his work. He hasn't got any clocks. He hasn't got Hank. He hasn't got Layla anymore, and he's wounded. Um, but he's like, no, bitch, you cannot replace me and you will not replace me and I don't accept. And then there's a really touching and also disturbing moment where he's sitting on a park bench with this like Victorian ghost child um, who happens to be alive, but like wears little suits and is creepy. And this kid reaches over into White's shirt and like grabs his bleeding wound, <laughs> I think to point out to him that like you're weak and this is why you're replaceable because like you've been shot and he pulls his hand away and there's like fresh blood on his hand. Did you not expect, I, I don't know if this is my sick mind, but I was like waiting for him to lick the blood on his finger. The child. which is really close to his mouth and he's ghoulish. <sighs> we know? were watching American Horror Story 1984. I, I will not and cannot talk about it. Okay. Well there, well look, you were the one watching it. Okay. I wasn't even watching it and I'm talking about it, but there is a little bit of a, a blood licking scene. Yeah. Um, that's disgusting, and I don't want to see a child do that. So I mean, you have a sick either. mind. Okay. Um, my question is, what wound is still bleeding? Um, I can't remember. I mean, I don't... I think FBI hottie finally shot him once. Right, but didn't he already get that taken care of by Layla? I think Layla stitched him up, but it's fresh. The fact that he's just, like, still openly bleeding and, like, walking around New York City, like, being creepy, but, like, bleeding from the chest, like, it just doesn't really check out to me. So, now we start to get answers. And we get another flashback. This is a really flashback-heavy episode. Sepia tone. And we are in Australia. We're in Sydney, Australia in 2007. Great year. Yeah. Um as I would guess. I was actually in Australia, Sydney, Australia, the following year for New Year's going into 2009. So at the end of 2008. I mean, 2007 was a great year. You know, we got Britney Spears' Blackout. But what did they get in Australia? You know, she's she's Kylie Minogue. What or was that the 90s? Can someone tell us what Kylie Minogue was doing in, in Australia 2007? in 2007? Um, hit us in the DMs. So Layla is in Australia in 2007 and she is in a full habit. Yeah. She is a nun. She's about to take her vows to fully dedicate her life to penance, to God, our to, Lord and Savior, to elective poverty, you know, whatever nuns are doing. Did you also feel like during this episode I kind of felt like they were breaking format a little bit with the flashbacks just because I Because we were getting given information that Hank doesn't have. Yeah, and it was also I I feel although Layla was in the episode, it was predominantly through these flashbacks. It felt yeah. like she was very detached from the present arc and it felt like these flashbacks were 
I'll say it. I know you're saying that, but I'm looking at the full notes of the episode, and there's present-day Layla in the episode. Oh. It's not just flashbacks. It just, it felt different to me. We were getting a side story. We were getting a side story. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was interesting that they're giving us, as the viewer, the answers on who Layla is before, like, Hank and the FBI find this information out. Personally... Um, you're hilarious if you think the FBI in this show are going to find anything out. Well, they're not, and they won't. <laughs> but um, I just don't... That's not personally, like, my preference when I'm watching a show. I prefer to kind of find things out with the characters. Right. I feel like it makes for a better surprise. I think knowing what, you know, knowing what Hank is going to discover before he discovers it kind of cheapens the surprise for me. But at the same time, like... Well, the thing with this show is that there are so many quote-unquote twists and so many turns Yeah, that that's what the show is made out of. So nothing has weight to it. Well, it's also so spoon-feedy that they think that we need to see her whole like origin because we don't need to see it. Yeah. But um, basically, she's taking her vows to be a nun. And there's a priest, um, as there often are in churches. <laughs> um, and he is talking to her, and he brings up her criminal background and her past of drug addiction. So apparently she... Oh, also she's Australian. I should mention that she has an Australian accent, despite having been American this whole time. So not only is she a liar, but she's an actress. <laughs> um, so she's an Australian nun, and this priest is like, look, like I know about your background. I know that you used to be a criminal and you were a drug addict. And she's like... Oh, I'm not going to do the accent, but she's like, Clear! Clear! Okay, she's like... No, I've changed. Um, And he's like, I know you've changed, but I want to tell you about the shepherds. What do you know about the shepherds? And she doesn't really know much. And he says, you know, I want you to be a shepherd. I want you to join us and be a true believer. You know, being a nun is the easy way out. You know, it's one thing if you just want to be a nun and you just want to be in the church praying and, and being silent and, you know, eating porridge. But a true believer would risk their life and they would sin in order to achieve the greater good. That's like directly what he says. He's like, you should be one of us because I know you can handle it and serve God by as doing things. As a drug things. dealer, as an ex-drug addict. Yeah. I just have a feeling. As a dirty, nasty criminal turned saved by grace nun, <laughs> I think you would be the perfect person to commit international crimes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, and she agrees. And then he has her burn a box of her old life. Amazing. So her real name is Anna Massey. And she needs to leave all that behind in order to be a shepherd. She needs to surrender her entire life. Um, so he gives her this box of, like, <laughs> symbols of her life to burn. <laughs> and the box is, like, two photographs, a driver's license, and two credit cards. Okay. Like, those, that's all that's in the box. But the photographs were, like, portraits of her. Like, there was one black and white one. Just like, pictures. a sexy, like, black and white. It's like, what? So just, like, a couple selfies, a couple credit cards, and That would be an my ID. box. Yeah. Honestly. The thing with her burning this box is Anna Massey is that the passport used to book the flight, we know the flight that she was supposed to be on with um, FBI Hottie's husband. She, she was booked under the name Anna, Anna Massey. Also, so she's still using the name even after she like burns all these symbols. Also, White Vincent claims in one of the episodes that he knew 
he like knows the name of every passenger on that plane, which is clearly mm-hmm. like well, she what didn't end up being on the plane, so I guess it's true, but I feel like he was probably looking at a list rather than a list rather than pictures because he didn't seem when he had her under custody, he didn't seem to know who she was, yeah. So now we're back to the present day. And the FBI, um, surprise, fucking surprise, cannot locate Layla. They can't find her. Where is she? Uh, uh, uh. Um, but, you know, Hank is looking for clues of where she's gone and what she's been up to. And he remembers, he's talking to FBI hottie, who I have figured out through deduction. Yeah. Through close examining of the text <laughs> that her name is in fact Beck. Yeah. Which I assume is a nickname for Rebecca. Right. Um, so I'm going to be referring to her as Beck from now on. In because my personally, notes? FBI hottie is really sexist and demeaning. And I feel that it's more respectful to refer to her as her name, which is Beck. I would agree. But in my notes, she is still FBI hottie. So if I slip up later on... I sincerely apologize. Turn this off and throw your phone at the wall. <laughs> so Hank remembers that Layla used to volunteer at a community garden every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., which he recognizes now is weird because him and Layla both hated warnings. Oh, they're so quirky. <laughs> oh, they're so cute. They they're warnings. always going to the library together. They like hate warnings. So he would never go with her because like he would be sleeping in on a Sunday, but she would go to this garden at 7 a.m., so Hank and Beck go to the garden and they stake it out. Um, it's really funny. Basically, they just sit on opposite sides of the same bench and pretend not to be talking to each other. <laughs> but, like, who cares? Like, who fucking cares? Yeah. Um, and they see a guy dig something up, like, just kind of, like, rifle through the dirt and put something in his pocket. And then he looks up and sees Hank watching him and recognizes Hank and runs. Honestly, so, I would run from that man too. I would have to agree. So Hank and Beck know that this guy must be up to no good. So they chase him and they're running through New York and somehow they get from a ground floor community garden to the roof of a building mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by chasing this guy. And he gets up to the roof and he says that, you know, we'll do anything to protect our secrets or something like that. Like, you'll never get anything out of me. Um, And then he goes up to a ledge, and they're like, no, stop, don't do it. And then this man, like, throws himself off the building and falls to his death. Now, for those of you who are fans of the hit NBC show Heroes, um, you would recognize this alley from season one, in which Peter, played by hunky Milo Ventimiglia, um, also throws himself off of this building. It's the same alleyway? I would almost bet my... I would bet something on it. My life. <laughs> <laughs> you would bet my life on it. Um, and I would... Honestly, I would go down for you if you were wrong. Um, so th- this this blew my mind because this guy was protecting whatever was in his pocket. But by killing himself... He's making his pocket readily available to them. It's true. I guess he just didn't want to be interrogated because he has more secrets. So Beck and Hank go down to his body and they pull a piece of paper out of his pocket that he had gotten from the dirt. And it's in Layla's handwriting. And it says, 352, irrelevant. 352, irrelevant, which means nothing. A good nickname for this show. 
<laughs> it means nothing to us. Um, so back in 2007, <laughs> Layla is a shepherd now. She's wearing pants. Her habit is nowhere to be seen. Her hair is down. She's wearing makeup. She's probably eating things other than porridge. And she is asked by the shepherds to infiltrate um, an NGO in South America. Um, basically like a medical charity group. Um, and this was when I like came to realize that the shaky cam thing was going to be going on for the rest of the episode. Because <laughs> we're like 15 minutes in now and it's like still happening. I, 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 I just want to make sure people got that. We are 15 minutes i mean i'm not 100 percent sure because i didn't write down like time codes. but that is this show like, i only have three more pages it's just on this episode so dense it's like oh no only oh my god wait no there's not that much left we're doing good okay so <laughs> in present day um remember the trusty thing one and thing two those are hank's employees at his magazine modern skeptic now very excitingly, we also learned their names, finally. Thing one is the beautiful female Rachel. Mm-hmm. And thing two is the um, guy. And his name is Aaron. And Possibly. He, mostly. It's Aaron. It's Aaron. Bible names. And he has a flirtationship with um, someone's name, someone whose name we don't know, but the FBI agent played by Meryl Streep's daughter. So thing one is Rachel. And in the present day, she's at the office, the Modern Skeptic's office, and she's trying to track down the origin of the key that Hank found in the bird feeder. And she finds that Layla's financial records show that she was making payments in a neighborhood in New York um, that Hank doesn't know anything about, except that she would go there and like buy cookies for him or something. So she would like go there regularly and then like bring him back like cookies question mark so a man needs his cookies he, please and, and, no 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 meat pies meat pies because they're that's cute. what he was saying is that well and meat pies are like an australian thing oh. so she would go to this like area of town and bring him back meat pies um men need their meat pies they really do more than they need their cookies for sure so rachel and aaron find this that this area has a lot of buildings that were built by the um company whose logo is engraved on the key Mm -hmm. so they know that this key must correspond to this neighborhood and beck and hank go and find the address of this like building or whatever and the key works and (laughs) all of a sudden they're at an apartment and they enter an apartment it's true that apparently belonged to layla Look, it doesn't have to make sense. Don't think too hard about it. We certainly didn't. You'll get a headache and you'll get stressed and you'll think you have a virus. So please don't send yourself down that spiral. Don't think too hard. So they're in this empty apartment. Um, Turns out Layla was going to this apartment every week. It's like a full-ass apartment, like a one-bedroom with like a kitchen and everything. Like she doesn't need this shit. The shepherds have bank. They have money, apparently. There's nothing in here. And this is New York City. You're telling me she was keeping a separate apartment in New York fucking city? With what money? She's a nun. So there's nothing in the apartment except in the bedroom, there's like a little altar set up with a Bible and like a crucifix. Um, Because she's a holy woman. She's holy and she needed a space to pray. So Hank is like, oh, she would come here to pray. And Beck is like, she needs an entire apartment to pray. That doesn't make any sense. So she's digging around, rifling around. And finally, she opens the freezer. And in the freezer is a crate of newspaper clippings 
this is this makes sense. This is the secret <laughs> spot in a completely empty apartment where you would hide your files is in the freezer. Um, I would just I would have to agree. So there are all newspaper clippings about charity events, charity fundraisers, um, like little hospitals, clinics that are all run by the same organization, the same NGO, which is called the Forty One Trust. Can I just say? This bitch can afford an entire apartment, but she can't get some file organizers. She can't get um, binders. It was just scattered. It was disorganized. How was she ever going to keep track of anything in that box in the freezer? I feel like she didn't have a lot of intentions to use these files. You think that a set dresser threw them in a box? Well, I just think with her character, she's been married to Hank for like five years, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but is an undercover shepherd. But like, what has she been up to for those five years? Because they didn't find a clock until five years into the marriage. What has she been doing every day, all day? Running her own damn store. She's a business owner? But like, why did the shepherds want her to just like run a store and have a bunch of files? Like, it just doesn't... It just seems like a waste of time. You are doing what you have advised our audience not to do. You cannot think about it, honey. She's like a sleeper agent. That's how I see it. She was like just buying time until things went down. So the one other thing they find is Hank opens up her Bible and there's one thing. It's a photograph of her and another woman um, in a street in South America. Um, And he he recognizes immediately. He doesn't know who the woman is, but he's like, this must be her old life. Because she told me she'd never been to South America. But I see in this picture that she has. So this must be evidence of her life before she became Layla. So we find out that this picture is of Paraguay. And they figured that out because of a church that's in the background of the picture is a church that's in Paraguay. Or Paraguay. Is it Paraguay or Paraguay? I think Paraguay. Okay, I'm going to go with Paraguay. So in the present day, Layla is on her way back to Paraguay. That's where she's disappeared to. Mm-hmm. Well, first she disappeared all the way back to Australia. Then she's gone all the way back to Paraguay. Again, coin, money. Yeah. Plane tickets, mm-hmm. flights, travel, private jets. Hank and Beck head to Paraguay as well because they know that this 41 Trust had something to do with a clinic in Paraguay and that Layla used to be there. And so they have a feeling that that's where they'll find Layla. Hang and Beck head to Paraguay and White Vincent finds out, I think by tracking their flights, like sees what flights they've booked. So White Vincent also heads his ass over to Paraguay. They get to Paraguay really fucking quickly and they immediately make their way to a haunted looking church. Um, because they realize that the woman in the photo with Layla is wearing um, like a wrist bracelet that like shows that she was a medical worker. So they have to find like, okay, where are places where clinics were being run? And they find this church that used to be a clinic. And we also see present day, oh no, while we're watching present day Hank, it's cut together with 2007 Layla. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Layla in 2007 is undercover 
as um, a volunteer at this clinic, but she knows that the clinic has some is hiding something. So she breaks into the morgue underneath the clinic. It's the basement. It's the basement morgue, a crypt, if you would, could call it that, which you can, and I just did. Present day Hank breaks into the same morgue. So we have a little cross-cutting here between these two break-ins happening at once. The show loves its parallels. Love a parallel. And when Hank opens it up, it's abandoned, but it looks like there's medical equipment down there. And he finds none other than White Vincent. White Vincent has beaten him to the clinic. White Vincent is already in the goddamn morgue. In 2007, Layla finds that it's in fact not a morgue, it's a lab, where they are, of course, running secret experiments. And she gathers up a bunch of files and evidence of the experiments that are going on in this morgue. And as she's leaving, she turns down this hallway and realizes that it is filled with like 10 or 15 cages with live um, humans in the cage and they're screaming and they're grabbing at her and they're like spitting. So they're a little bit deranged. They've been down there for a hot sack. And she's distraught. She's really upset that she has to leave them. But is she? Because she just fucking hops, skips and jumps right out of there. She doesn't do a single thing about the people that are being held hostage at any point. We never see her do anything about these hostages. No. It, in fact, it's completely forgotten and dropped immediately. Correct. So modern day, current day, Hank is realizing that this is a lab for the Zero Hour Project, which were the Nazi experiments going on um, in the 30s, 40s, when all of this began. So White Vincent tells him, you know, Zero Hour didn't end with the Nazis. It continued. It's still going on. And it's... And it's coming. coming. Zero Hour is coming. It must be. So White Vincent says to Hank that 352... The number that was on the note is the answer to all of the questions that Hank has. And he finds a film labeled 352 and they play it. They project it down in the basement. And on screen is a a caged man who happens to be a doppelganger of Hank. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course, this video wasn't taken in the 40s as far as we know. So this is what? Another doppelganger? And he comes... A third. A third Hank? I can't get enough. (laughs) I hope there's a fourth. I hope there's a fifth. So he comes up to the camera and you see that he has the foggy gray eyes that White Vincent has. Um, Hank himself is 352. (gasps) So that note that Layla left was saying Hank is irrelevant. That's what she was saying. Um, So then we see Rachel and Aaron in New York. And they go to the 41 Trust. They find the office of the 41 Trust and they find the president, the leader of this NGO. And it is none other than the creepy, ooky, spooky boss lady with the curly hair who works with the tiny little haunted Victorian child. It's all fucking coming full circle. So we can come to the conclusion here that the 41 Trust is a front for the great pirates. Led by. Led by this lady with the beautiful hair. And White Vincent is but a pawn in her scheme. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this clinic was being run by the great pirates and they were continuing on the zero hour experiments. 2007 Layla (laughs) escapes. She tries to warn her friend 
that the clinic is up to no good, but her friend is like, bitch, what are you talking about? I have lives to save. And Layla turns her ass around, doesn't give this bitch a second look, and flies home to Australia and gives all of the evidence to the shepherds. So now I'm like getting the sense that this Layla bitch is also a pawn. You know, she's not really thinking for herself. She's doing what the shepherds are telling her. Assuming... I mean, they're all pawns for the big man upstairs. True. Apropos. Mm-hmm. But it's like she's not listening for God's guidance. She's just taking the shepherds and everything that they tell her to do as law and as God's word. Cult behavior. Um. So White, Vincent, and Hank are still in this basement. And White wants to team up with Hank to find Layla. He wants them to work together because white shows a tattoo on his arm. I think it's like a sexy little wrist tattoo that like white girls have. Stick and poke. And it says 353. (gasps) Brothers. We're brothers. So white Vincent is 353 and Hank is 352. That's fucking so crazy. Um, So Beck shows up. She finds her way down to the morgue finally. She's always 15 steps behind. (laughs) Really, like, this woman is always showing up at the wrong moment. And she's ready. She's going to shoot Vincent dead. Because remember, she's got a vendetta against this man who killed her husband. She wants to shoot the shit out of him. She has the element of surprise. And still fails <laughs> not not a, he this bitch just he does not catch a single bullet okay her bullets are flying everywhere but at no one and instead she gets shot in the fucking shoulder and falls down the fbi made a mistake by hiring this woman she does not have the vernacular that she believes she possesses beck is a disgrace she someone has no business someone lied to her and she has no business working for the fbi she should have put that FBI bag badge back on the shelf where it belonged, mm-hmm. and she should never have purchased it. You know what I'm saying? So somehow still Hank, Hank saves her, right? Because he's kind of amazing. And they escape. So Beck and Hank escape. White Vincent goes his own separate way. They're not going to work together because he's a terrorist and they're um, not. While Hank was saving her, did you feel the the romantic chemistry begin? I feel like the show was trying to start something here. Well, that's the thing is that there is a weird like element of tension between Beck and Hank, but I don't think that it's meant to be there. I don't think that the show is going to give them a romance between each other. Right. I think that genuinely, like, it's a red herring, and also like we're just projecting like our like tensions of being trapped in this house and like not seeing anyone sexy and there's just like nothing like sexy about this show yeah um so every time there's two characters alone together i'm like wait (laughs) wait is this hot is this steamy and it's not i guess what like it's just not so present day layla returns to australia with um the clocks that she stole from hank and she is once again asked to burn symbols of her old life She gets a box together, and it is a picture of her and Hank, a couple credit cards, and a driver's license. All of the symbols of their rich, beautiful five-year marriage. Um, And she burns it. She throws it on the fire and and just says goodbye to Layla Galliston. This woman is dead. You know, she's, she's been reborn once again, you know, through the blood. 
And so one of the shepherds in Australia is just like a random white guy, and we don't see him again after this episode. He looks like he would be a really big Jason Mraz fan. That's what I thought. Interesting thought. Just the fedora, you know, the smile. Is he wearing a fedora? In one of the flashbacks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A priest in a fedora. Yeah. Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> um, but the other priest that is one of the shepherds that's in Australia happens to be a priest that we recognize. It's not Hank's priest. It's not the guy that married him and Layla. It's... Because a, that priest has disappeared. He's not on the show anymore. The one who got his throat slit. But the man with the survived. Altoids who got his throat <laughs> slashed for Hank has been written off the show. Um, but he had been looking for information about the pirates in his network of other priests and what in New York. And one of the other priests he talked to is this guy. So this guy now is in Sydney, Australia. He's an American priest. He told Hank's priest that he didn't know anything about the shepherds. He just kind of knew what they were, but he doesn't have any information he doesn't know who Layla is like he was playing dumb turns out he's an upper level shepherd father Reggie knows shit (laughs) that's right he is dangerous he is murderous (laughs) he is devout he is um sacred he cannot hold a phone correctly he holds a phone with a flat hand it's really (laughs) awkward and strange and his name is father Reggie not father Reginald not Father Ferdinand. Not Father Abraham. Father Reggie. That's right. It puts a shiver down my spine. It's an intimidating For all the wrong reasons. So it turns out Father Reggie is one of um, Layla's contacts in The Shepherd. So if he was in New York this whole time, I imagine she was seeing him and, and you know, giving him information. Um, and then the episode ends with Layla hiding in a corner looking at a picture of her and Hank. Turns out she saved one of her photos of the two of them and she's praying over it. Ooh, what does that mean? Ooh. Does she care about him? Does she love him? Well, we're about to find out in episode six. Now, if you need to take a break, I don't, I I guess here's a moment. No, you just start going because I'm just going to get water. Okay. So, episode six opens with, you know, they love their cogs. Um, and, and White Vincent's voiceover. Five. Five is the number of grace. And there was some other stuff after that, but I didn't quite catch it. So I'm like not keeping up with the numerology of this show. Um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't, I don't understand. <laughs> so it begins with stock footage, um, with news stock footage of environmental disasters. We're talking floods, hurricanes, and then we cut to... Everything that's coming for us in reality. Yeah. Um, We cut to a board meeting led by the one and only boss lady, you know, curls. Whose name I would love to learn. Looking tight. Tight Mm. curls. Um, And she assures her boardroom um, that it's not directed at them. You know, in fact, this is God giving them a sign. Um... A sign of what? We don't know. Um, but we cut to, we're back in New York 
in a hospital. Um, once again, Beck has just been shot by White Vincent. Right. Um, it's really... In Paraguay. Shaky cam. Shaky cam. We're nervous. But what? she's made it back to New York. What is going to happen yeah. to Beck? Um, and throughout this entire time, Hank is wearing a jean jacket. He does um, have a little bit of a style switch up. Well, episode. it just, it didn't fit his character, I felt like. I was really confused. I was thrown off. I mean, maybe he's not so stuffy as we think. You know, in this moment, who is Hank? Which kind of made me really think about the fashion choices on this show. I've never once thought about what they were wearing. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. It's They are all wearing shades of gray and navy blue. And it makes you question, you know... Was their costume designer? You know, did they have to do some budget cuts for? How I just feel like it's one of these is. procedurals where, like, it's made so that you don't notice what they're wearing. Like, you're not meant to think about it. I just feel like everyone's wardrobe is the same shade of depressing, and it's really bringing down the show. Like, at least if they had fun clothes. I mean, what if they had, you know, given it the Criminal Minds treatment? Mm-hmm. You know, the character on Criminal Minds who's like the computer, like the IT girl. Yeah. And she's always wearing fun colors with funky hair. What if they had made Rachel thing one? What if they had made her like that would fun be and giving funky. Rachel too much of a character? And right. The show can't do her that. character is um, scarves. Yeah, she wears a lot of scarves. Yeah. So um, it turns out Beck is fine, um, and that's all you need to know. So back at headquarters, back at the magazine office, um, Rachel is clearly obsessed with Aaron. You know, up until this point, um, thing one and thing two had, had been they were tertiary. Yeah. Yeah, but now that Aaron is developing what some would call romantic tension with Meryl Streep's daughter, yeah, um, they're kind of, you know, it, it's raising a lot of uncomfortable feelings for Rachel. You know, feelings that Rachel may not have been ready to confront. I love how much you've parsed out of this scene between the two of them. <laughs> well, it's it's expressed not through dialogue, but through longing looks. You know, because their dialogue isn't saying anything. Um, it never does. Well, she kind of makes fun of him for having this friendship with this FBI agent. She, like, teases him about it. Well, I'm also... I also took, She seems sad. I took note that um, Rachel, as an actress, is kind of a Leighton Meester type. Um, but her acting style can only be described as kind of constantly on the verge of tears. She does. Know? Well, especially now, because for first four episodes, I didn't even like register them on camera. Like they were just not important characters. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they want us to like somehow be invested in their relationship. And yeah. we're not. So it's just Aaron, you know, flirting with Meryl's daughter. But I can't believe anything he does because of his haircut. And Rachel kind of just looking frightened and fragile, even if the scene doesn't really call like, for it. Like, keep that scarf wrap, like, yeah. wrapped tight, girl. Like, get that safety blanket, because it's rough out here. <laughs> so at the church, Layla is missing Hank. You know, we spent the first four episodes kind of suffering while Hank did everything he could for Layla, for his Hank love of Layla. Hank was missing Layla, but now Layla gets to miss The Hank. tables have turned. Um, it's time for her to obsess. Um, you know, rather than being an interesting character, her traits now include being Australian, loving Jesus, and an obsession with Hank. Um, so she meets with the shepherd elders, and they have decided that it's time to complete the chain. You know, it's time that we find the clocks, the true cross of Christ 
and move Isn't it. Isn't it time? Isn't it fucking time? It's time. You know, Maybe it's time we found the true cross of Christ. Maybe it's have time any of you, let the Have any of you thought about that? Have you ever thought that maybe it's time? Maybe it's time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So at at headquarters, you know, the gang um, is trying is, is is trying to figure out the next step. You know, so Aaron realizes that if Hank flew, because they're always flying, that there is going to be an X ray of the clock somewhere out there. Surprise, surprise! Hank doesn't want to deal. You know, he he doesn't he doesn't do the work. Um, he has to find answers for himself. So he's going to go home. He's going to confront his parents at their house slash barn. Yes. So we go from the glamour of New York City to mm. um, a random backyard. Um, that has a farmhouse and it doesn't quite match the house that we're initially presented. They give us like a, a wide shot of the house and then they're inside the house and then they cut to him and his parents outside the house but now the house is a barn and no longer a house. It's a giant red barn. Um, America, explain. Yeah, I don't get it. So Hank is furious um, and he needs to know. He, he, he needs to know the truth. He is demanding you know, why don't you guys have a photo of my first tooth? You know, why don't you have a photo of my first bath? What is the truth? He sees that there are all these photos of his childhood, but there are no pictures of him as like a newborn baby at the hospital. So Hank's father reveals that he was a doctor in Germany and in fact found Hank in a duffel bag. Um... So that makes sense. So that's the truth. Here's the fucking thing. How could you get to like the age of 45 and not get told you're adopted? That's so fucked. Yeah. They never told him he was adopted. He's a grown fucking man. He's pushing like, he's somewhere between 40 and 50. Like, this is not a child. He maybe should have been told at some point in his teens or before. But it's like he never suspected it. He never suspected he was adopted. Yeah. So I do have to, I made a note. Um... That in this scene, it's it's pretty evident that Anthony Edwards, you know, Emmy-nominated actor playing Hank, um, he'd really rather be doing anything else than be on the show, I would say. Um, he's, he's giving about 15%. Um, kind of all of his lines have the same emotional weight. I'm sure that he probably is a great actor because he has accolades. But unfortunately, we don't get to see that on this show because he does not want to be there. I just feel like his parents were really giving a performance. You know, they were giving a performance that you would see in like um, like a really excellent Lifetime movie. Yeah. You know, they, they did the secrets. character work. Yeah, they, they did. They had journals. They were marking up their scripts. You know, what's the true motivation of my character? Yeah. Um, Hank was just showing up on set you know, maybe getting fed lines. We're not sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he memorizes his lines, but, you know, he doesn't but want to But if there was it. an earpiece somewhere, we wouldn't be I don't I blame be shocked. him. You yeah. know, I'm not here to pass judgment or to criticize. No. Um, I'm just telling you what, what I took from the experience. Yeah. So the scene ends with um, a reveal that White Vincent has actually been watching this entire, this entire exchange. Um, 
So with Hank being useless, as usual, um, Aaron, Rachel, and Meryl Streep Jr., who, for the sake of this episode, they're kind of together all the time, so I'm just going to refer to them as the Three Musketeers. Right. Um, they are looking at the x-ray. Um, they do all the work. Yeah. All of the labor. Yeah. Um, so they're looking at the x-ray. They're zooming in. There's an incredible HD photo. Um this x-ray um at the same time Layla who has the clock cannot figure out what the clue is um inside there's an iron ball and 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 it has no engravings she's stumped um but in a moment of genius she tosses this iron ball into a really ugly cylinder base Mm -hmm. um and sees that the ball is not it's not a full iron ball. It's hollow because I it's floating. I love holding it, she couldn't tell that it was hollow just by the weight. Yeah. So the three musketeers, meanwhile, are just like but they zooming see, past it because they can see inside of the ball. They see that there's something inside the yeah. clock and the ball, and then they see that there's something inside the ball, all through the x-rays of Hank at the airport. So Layla heats up this iron ball until the metal melts, and inside there's a metal chip that has a series of, of crisscrossed lines engraved into it. And immediately I know that this is probably like a map, but you know it takes them a while to figure it out. Um, but the Three Musketeers, unfortunately... Because it literally is a map. We yeah. all know what a map looks like. It's true. They're like, what are these lines? What are these street-shaped lines? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but the Three Musketeers aren't able to see the other side of the engraving, so they don't, they don't get the full clue. Right. But Layla is able to turn the engraving around and see that there's an Islamic etching that seems to be Turkish in it's origin. It's the moon and star that you find also on the Turkish flag. Right. And immediately, Layla knows where it is. It has to be Istanbul. You know, where else could this be? This is Istanbul. So Period. On period, bitch. Back in Jersey. Um, I'm not actually sure if it's Jersey. I just can't remember where Hank is from. And I feel like they... We met the parents in the Jersey it, episode. It's a Jersey vibe. I so. mean, are there fucking farms in Jersey? I don't, I don't know. Like, so it's nighttime, and White Vincent breaks into Hank's family home. Um, and he sees a mold of a child's hand. And we have to assume it's Hank's hand. Like right. his childhood hand. He's an only child. And um, White Vincent is so excited. I wrote that he like practically is jizzing because he's just so overwhelmed because by this little baby hand. by this baby hand because he is obsessed with Hank. Yeah. Um. And naturally, the show knows that we are desperate for answers. So at this time, we begin a flashback. Thank God. Um, Sepia tone. Sepia toned. It's a useless flashback of White Vincent being bullied as a child at an at the orphanage because of his demon. <laughs> I forgot about these flashbacks. <laughs> oh, there's so much. There's so much. So many minutes of this episode are just like childhood German. Yeah, White Vincent getting bullied at an orphanage yeah. for having like gray eyes. So Hank not being satisfied with the parents, his parents or with the answers his parents gave him. Um, Decides to visit the Nazi memorabilia guy from like episode one or two. This man is this man actually is one of the best performances on the show. I agree. He's really creepy. He's a good character actor. You get the sense that he is like that. It's what you would expect from like a Nazi scholar. Yeah. So this the Nazi guy is struck because he knows that this is Hank 
this is Corbin Stern's double. Because he's watched the Zero Hour clip and he's, of Corbin Stern. So he's so excited. He's like, do you want to shoot like a real Nazi gun? Like, woo. He's uh, never met a Nazi he, lookalike before. He is fanning out. Yeah. But it's but it's creepy. Like it, it's weirdly insidious. Like you just feel like he's gonna trap Hank there or something. Yeah. Um, but eventually he reveals that he has a bunch of Corbin Stern artifacts that he yeah. bought from like a rascal in Louisiana. Um, and this is enough information for Hank to immediately book a flight. Um, to find the origin of Corbin yeah. Stern's like badges. Yeah. So through the How FBI, did they get to Louisiana? Ugh. So through the FBI, Merrill Jr. learns that one of Layla's um, aliases has rented a car in Istanbul. And Rachel, because of her experience with magazine layouts, mm-hmm. is able to match the lines from yeah. the x-ray engraving yeah. to a part of of. Istanbul city. She takes the engraving layout. and then she locks it to grid on a map of Istanbul and sees exactly the location. Something yeah. that Merrill Jr. was not able to do. And I think this accomplishes two things, right? Yeah. One, um, it allows the writers to showcase the FBI as completely incompetent, which they seem really, really eager to do. Hell bent on showing us. And number two, they desperately wanted to give Rachel a purpose. They gave Rachel a purpose and they also created maybe a little bit of an element of competition between her and Meryl Jr. Yeah. Because Meryl Jr. is, you know, the killer superhero FBI agent. Who and she's, has she's genuinely, she's a better agent than Beck. It's true. Um, but she didn't know what to do with this map. But of course, Rachel, to the rescue with her magazine layout skills... You know, she knows how to use InDesign. And <laughs> apparently you can use that to locate streets in Istanbul. So back with White Vincent, we get another flashback. Um, of him getting bullied. Well, this time, he fights back. Oh, and he's unhinged. And that's it. So Hank arrives in Louisiana. And he goes to the pawn shop slash thrift store slash vintage store. He literally calls it a junk store, which I found very rude. And it's like... Uh, have you sorry, never been to Santa Barbara? You don't antique, you don't thrift, you don't understand the value of something old. So the owner of the store immediately recognizes him. He goes pale in the face. He trembles. And we learn Get back. that Corbin Stern was in fact the father of this store owner. So this is an older man. This is a man in his 70s. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And this his name is Eric Hawes. And it makes Hank wonder, is Eric Hawes my father? You know? Like, if I'm the spitting image of his father, yeah. what logically follows is that he must be my father. Yeah. So back with White Vincent, um, he meets up with the haunted child. Um, and he informs the kid that, he, you know, he's searched through Hank's family home and he didn't find anything. Um... And, and now we get a moment of, of White Vincent really trying to connect with this ghost Maybe he child. has a heart after all. You know, one misunderstood terrorist to a future one. Um, <laughs> but realizes that the kid cannot speak because his tongue has been cut out. Has he spoken in previous episodes? No, that's why he's always writing in the notepad in yeah. code because he has no tongue. He's never had a tongue. Yeah. 
because his tongue was removed. So White Vincent, you know, he doesn't appreciate a child being abused. He's not like about this. violence against children. So he whispers something in the kid's ear. Yeah. So Layla arrives in Istanbul and finds that the house that was etched on the and she finds the house. She finds the location. Um, using the etching, using the map. She knows yeah. Istanbul, her old stomping ground, I'm sure, yeah. during her spy I mean, days. She doesn't need to use InDesign to no. locate. No. Um, and she finds the house and she immediately begins looking looking for the clock. Um, meanwhile, it's cut with a scene where Hank tries to tell Eric that Corbin Stern is not, in fact, the deadbeat dad that Eric thinks he is, you know? There's so much time wasted in this episode that's just Hank trying to convince this guy that, like, Corbin Stern was a good father. Why? Why? We don't care. We don't yeah. care. So Eric tells Hank that Marlena, who was Hank, who was Corbin's wife, um, fled to Istanbul um, after she found out she was pregnant. It's all connected. And we realize as an audience that the house that Layla is currently searching is where Marlena must have fled to. So while looking around, Layla finds an engraving with a Rosicrucian sign on it and opens it, ready to embrace the clock. But there's no clock inside. Someone's already been here. And instantly, the three musketeers run in and apprehend Layla. Commercial break. When we come back, White Vincent is with Boss Lady. He broke into her house and, and... this is the fr- and we learned that like they had never met before because his sole contact was this child which yeah. now i'm like how did she recruit him by sending him this child who can't talk like it's just well he has ghost eyes you know he has the demon eyes so he yeah. grew up but he you know um but he wants answers you know he's not going to be a lackey anymore um and he violently threatens her but boss lady is unbothered she, she is, can't be threatened she's not bothered look she has god on her side And she tells him that she believes in the power of the cross, which means that, you know, if he tortures her, she's not going to break. And if she dies, then he's never going to get the answers that he wants. Touche. So in Istanbul, FBI hottie, a.k.a. Beck, wants answers about the flight that killed her husband. Still. Um, Still. Get over it. Move on. It's like maybe go back to training. You know, maybe maybe do some fucking target practice. Maybe do something of use. So at this time, Hank calls back and brings up Eric Haas. Beck realizes that they are in Eric Haas's house and urges Hank to run because Eric knows about the clocks and he is dangerous, probably. But he's not. So of course, Hank is like, he knows about the clocks? The clocks? <laughs> Can you hear me, Eric? Clocks? And of course, Eric instantly pulls a gun on him. Because there are crazy, fanatical cults. You cannot be out and about talking about clocks in the open air. No, not in 2013. <sighs> the police show up at the house in Istanbul, and Layla begins shrieking that she's being kidnapped in order yeah. to cause a distraction, and she escapes. These Turkish cops understand English perfectly. And, um, you know, the whole time Beck is like, she's a liar. Layla's a liar. I work for the FBI. Basically trying to explain why it's okay for her to have Layla, like, tied up and be holding her at gunpoint. My question, does the FBI have international jurisdiction? That's a really good question that I am confident that international superstar Priyanka Chopra could well, answer. Well, here's the thing. 
isn't the CIA responsible for, you know, things happening outside of America, but the FBI is meant to be on the ground in the U.S.? That could be true, but as we know, um, Beck has not done her reading. She doesn't really know what her jurisdiction is. <laughs> She's just licensed to carry a gun all over the world, so she does, and then she pulls it on people in countries like Turkey and thinks that she can just fucking do that and get away with it, and turns out she can't. Yeah. So Eric is holding Hank at gunpoint, um, and Hank urges Eric to reach into his pocket and read the letter that Corbin Stern wrote. It's the letter from the first episode. Um, and Eric does, and he he tearfully reads this letter. It's really emotional, and he learns that his father didn't abandon him for no reason. You know, his father abandoned him to hide what he believes is the true cross of Christ. His father abandoned him to protect him for the greater good because he knew that he had, you know, a duty to God to protect this cross and this letter is enough to comfort eric it's really enough like he no longer needs to kill hank so as a thank you to hank for showing him who his father really is eric reveals (laughs) eric reveals that in a hole in the wall he in fact has seven of the clocks he has all of the remaining clocks your ears do not deceive you the writers got tired of sending us on wild goose chases for clocks. So we have them all. And they were all in Louisiana the whole time. The whole, ugh. That's crazy. Every All roads lead back to Louisiana. That's what I always say. Turns out he's a collector. You know, his passion is collecting. And so he himself went all over the world and collected these clocks. Because he thought that they were worth money. Um, and that's why the clock from the house in Istanbul was missing. Because Eric already had it. Which, this prompted a huge discussion as to the, the order of the clocks, and we're not going to get into it because it doesn't matter. We still don't really know, and we never know, and we're not asking because we don't care. Layla returns to church headquarters in Sydney, I think. Um, she is a jet setter. Which, knowing the show, isn't it crazy that they didn't try to include more of, like, the Vatican? I feel like... Well, they probably... You can't film in the Vatican. Well, no, they would have but... to build a fake Vatican. I don't even think they have that budget. It's true. So anyway, so also she... it's they're not mainstream Catholics. It's true. They're off the beaten path. Australian Catholics. Yeah, they're they're you know culty Catholics. They're not mainstream Catholics. So Layla talks to one of the elder priests, and and she brings up the flight that Beck keeps bringing up, and she's like, "I'm worried that." The FBI is on to us. Clear. Clear. The condensation. Um, H2O Just Add Water is on Netflix, in case anyone's wondering. Oh, that is the kind of like content we need in these times. Honestly. That's so centering. So, don't worry, y'all. I'm almost done. So, everyone returns to New York, um, to the office, the headquarter, and Aaron gives Hank a DNA test. Because Hank swiped some of Eric Hotz's DNA. Well, we have to also mention that Eric gave him all of the clocks. Yes. He lets him keep the clocks. Yeah, he takes all the clocks. He realizes they're not worth money, and so he only cares about money. He doesn't care about this. He realizes that, oh, Hank's purpose with the, the Jesus Christ's cross is more important, so I'll just give him the clocks. Yeah. So... 
what he so Hank this entire time has been like maybe Eric is my father despite Eric being like look I can't have children like I'm not your dad I'm impotent and what we learn is far more shocking to no one in the room Hank isn't Eric's son According to his DNA, Hank is Eric's father. But what? But Hank is 40 and Eric is 70. How can this be? <laughs> um, Hank doesn't even have time to process this information because... He's just like, it must be an error and then moves on. Who does he get a call from? <gasps> Fucking Layla. Oh, Layla. Ugh. Let him go, girl. Let him heal. Layla, a.k.a. Monica or Marina or Anna Massey Anna um whatever her name are she wants to talk boom blackout (gasps) thank you for listening to Dearly Departed if you like what you hear make sure to subscribe on your preferred pod listening platform and check out our Instagram page at Dearly Departed the pod and if you're feeling extra saucy leave us a review and make sure to share with friends family and even enemies now Back to the nonsense. So we are in episode seven of Zero Hour, um, which begins, of course, with an ominous voiceover. Six is the number of harmony. We must follow the path, even if the route ends in death. Mm. Mm. Do we want to take a minute just really reflect on that? Wait. We must follow the path of life, even if the route ends in death. So the thing is that the path of life <laughs> is always going to lead to death. Yeah. But That's harmony. That's just good old-fashioned biology. Um, I don't know Six. what that has to do with harmony. You know, three plus three equals Six. Harmony. <laughs> harmony. Yeah. Life, death, cycles. The cycles. You know, the circle of life. Yeah. From dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Circle. You know, you were born, and then you grow old, and then you die, and then you're reborn. Especially on this show. Possibly. Especially on this show. But also if you just believe. If you are a believer in reincarnation. So, the episode opens with White Vincent deep sea diving. And he's all hooked up to this machinery. A man with just incredible skills, you know? He's lived. I mean, he can dive, he can swim, he can kill... He, um, mm-hmm. he can walk around with a bleeding flesh wound for days at mm-hmm. a time. Mm-hmm. I bet he has amazing vision because of his demon eyes. Or could be worse vision. I mean, I just feel like if he has glossy eyes and wears colored contacts, he's probably is still able to shoot back when she <laughs> seems to have perfect vision but is constantly missing. I think that says more about her than it says about him. No. So he's deep sea diving and he finds um, a black book. When it first surfaced, I like could not tell what they found, but basically it's the black book log from the submarine that Corbin Stern initially escaped on in the 30s. Um, I'm just going to let you know that now because it took me like 20 minutes of the episode to figure that out. Well, I realized later on... Um. But they find that submarine in the Arctic. The Arctic. The Arctic. Sorry. I love that that bothers you so It much. really does. It's like the only thing about you that like... That I say Arctic? That you say Arctic instead of Arctic. But you know what? It's good to have quirks. 
I'm, I mispronounce words on this podcast all the time, mm-hmm. but I just kind of roll through it. But I just always hear that one. Like, that just kind of hits me. I'm like, it's Arctic. I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. Whispering Arctic in my ear. You whispered this morning. It was really I funny. I whispered while I was asleep. What well, did I but whisper? it was just, it was like, no, I'm sorry. And that was it. <laughs> well, I was having a romantic dream about someone that we both know. Oh. I already told you this morning, but this afternoon did but I still, forget but well don't say it on was record. I paying attention um no I don't know if you were paying attention I can't <laughs> well I have no idea who you're talking it was, about but so. it wasn't a sex dream it was a romantic dream I have a lot of <laughs> romantic dreams about like falling in love and it's usually about someone that I'm not attracted to sexually but then I'll have a dream about falling in love with them and about like I was getting married it's like all these kinds of thoughts I don't have in my waking life because in my waking life I'm more of like you know, really only after one thing. <laughs> Dirty, I'm, sinful. I'm a little bit more focused on those pleasures. The carnal pleasures. The car- you know, the, the pleasures of the flesh. But in my sleep, I desire that companionship and the love, the I mean, romance. You deserve an epic love. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. So that's that's probably what I was whispering about. Uh, so the, Ar- so Arctic. So the submarine. <laughs> yeah. Was in the Arctic. Yeah, so I'm confused as to what submarine this one is. There's just another submarine. Well, I guess there's things that we haven't seen yet, so it's possible that Corbin Stern could have hopped onto another. Well, you're right, because later they track the path of the submarine from Strasbourg, Germany, to where it crashed in the Arctic. Yeah. And the Faroe Islands is where they kind of end up, but yes. it's between those two places but that's I don't think that the the submarine black book is in the same place as the submarine it's just like a back but but okay sure it's really unclear to me where white vincent finds the black book like where he's diving but he might be diving in the arctic where they originally found the submarine and the journal later on not to confuse everyone is from the same place is another thing that they collected off of the submarine I, I think I'm just going to have to believe that Corbin Stern went to a different submarine that then landed up in the Arctic because yeah. that's the only thing that actually So the makes submarine sense. so what that means and this this actually solves our question from earlier. Yes. When he died, right? He was by himself. He was on the submarine with the clock because yeah. he always had the clock on him, mm-hmm. but that wasn't immediately after he hid the true cross. Because I think we had it in our heads that like he escaped with the true cross yes. and immediately died. But it but we find out yes. in these coming episodes that we're going to walk you through that he didn't die immediately. So the submarine that he died on is not the same submarine that he was using to escape with the true cross. Yes. Uh that took us <laughs> that took us way I can't I don't even want to address how long I, I just took. I want everyone to know that after zero hour, we will be picking the Something lightest, light. frothiest, yeah. you know, maybe a half hour. This is just really like, I question my intelligence watching this show. <laughs> the show is not that smart, but it makes me feel stupid. Yes. So we cut to Layla and she is in the park waiting to meet Hank. So, of course, last time we checked in with her, she was in Australia. But now she's back in New York, and she set up a meeting with Hank. And this is the first time she's going to see him since her escape and her betrayal. 
that I think rocked all of us and, you know, really changed the tone of the show. So Hank isn't there at the place where they're supposed to meet up. Instead, he sends Thing 2, a.k.a. Aaron. That's right. determined his name is Aaron. Um, I realized that I thought he was kind of cute in this scene because he was wearing a hoodie. And so you couldn't, couldn't see his, his bad hair. haircut. Because yeah. he's kind of cute now with yeah. a different hair. Look, everybody's had their bad haircuts. Um, but not all of us were on a, a TV show at the time. <laughs> so he sends Thing 2, who sends Layla on a essentially a scavenger hunt to find where Hank is because Hank knows that she's probably being watched by shepherd guards, which she is. So um, Aaron has her get on a bus, and then she follows a bus to a bench, and it has a note, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to walk you through this whole scavenger hunt. It was a lot of filler. It was a waste of fucking time. So she goes through a bunch of scavenger hunting steps until she finally meets Hank. It looks like back at the same park, (laughs) but it's a different spot in the park. Um, on like a bridge overlooking water. And it is in fact the place where he first proposed marriage to her. And she straight up is like, why would you do this to me? Why would you have me meet you? Oh, and she's doing an American accent. She's back to her like Layla voice. She's like, why would you torture me by having me, you, me like meet you where you proposed? And he was like, well, I just thought it would give me clarity to like see you back in this place. And he's like, I want answers. And then she's like, I'm just a pawn. I don't have answers. And then she says that um, she still loves him. Yes. Which Hank doesn't give a fuck about. And neither do I. I wasn't touched by it. I wasn't moved. Um, And neither is Hank. He's like, okay, well, that means nothing to me because you betrayed me. And you're keeping secrets from me. And you're a liar. And I hate you. I do believe that there's supposed to be an element of like he still yearns for her you know it's been like three days but as we have talked about you know anthony edwards incredible actor um just ends up delivering the line like he would be talking to you know the priest or he's just really tired of acting in this show he really is and i can't be blaming him i really can't because he's not i don't think he's putting in the effort that some of the other actors are because he knows he doesn't really have to because he's a great award-winning actor. Yeah. But it just kind of reads as like he doesn't really want to be there. So he tells her he, he wants to strike a deal. And he says, tell the shepherds that if they give me real answers, I'll give them the clocks in exchange for real answers. But if not, if they don't deliver those real answers, then he's going to go to the pirates and tell them he everything. He needs the truth. Who are his parents? Why are there clones or doppelgangers? Yeah. Why doesn't he have foggy eyes? I'm just going to warn you right now. You're not really going to get the answers in this episode of the podcast. Oh, no. Because we still are like... <laughs> they, they give us little bits of answer, but it, they're, it's, it's like the show is stalling. It's like the show is giving you little nuggets of information that add up to nothing mm-hmm. because they themselves don't really know where this is going. So she agrees to the trade, essentially. She says, like, I'll go back and talk to my yeah. my leaders because Layla supposedly is just a pawn and she's not an upper-level shepherd. So she's just doing what she's told and she doesn't actually even know why she was assigned to Hank in the first place. Um, she also drops the American accent because Hank is like... Can you cut the shit? Emma. I want to hear your real voice. Clear. So 
they are back at the office. Hank is with thing one and thing two, Aaron and Rachel. And basically what they determine is that clock 12, because of course now they have most of the clocks. They don't have all of them, but they have many. I think they have all of the clocks. Does he have them all in his possession, though? This no. was a huge he discussion. Has, he has seven clocks. Layla and the shepherds have the others. Right, right. So, but he has the but seven clocks. all the clocks. clocks have been found. Yeah, from his son, the old guy. So <laughs> they determine that clock 12 leads back to clock number one. So this also answers a question for us, because we thought that, you know, one leads to two, two leads to three, and so on and so forth, and then 12 should lead to the true cross. But in fact, you could find the clocks in... You know, you could, you could start with clock four and still find all of the clocks because clock 12 leads back to clock one. Yes. But then there's an engraving on the bottom of clock 12 with a poem with like a little, you know, a, a rhyming couplet that I did not write down that suggests that it's with all 12 clocks together that you find the true cross. So just adding an element of, you know, making it more work for you, you have to find all 12 clocks, get them all in one place, and then that's how you're going to find the map to the cross of Jesus Christ. So White Vincent is on a boat. His own... It's a boat, not a submarine. It's a boat. It's a vessel. He's on his vessel with his books that he collected from the ocean. Um, And he opens a book, and he's like, damn, we're going to need to get a demonic translator up in here. Mm-hmm. I was like, did he say mnemonic? Numeric? I'm confused. No, he said demonic. Why in the world would this Rosicrucian group write in a demonic code as opposed to in, you know, an ancient language such as Latin or something like that? Um, it boggles my mind. They never explain why this is written in a demonic code. We just are left to wonder. I imagine it's, we need a code. We need a code. Should it be demonic? Mm, Demons are hot right now. I have to question the theology. Mm -hmm. Why would a demonic code lead to the cross of Christ? I'm sorry, that's not adding up. I imagine, you know, there was a writer um, about three beers in. It was late. Um, You know, we needed some kind of code. We're sifting through the research material. It just like could be code. Like, it could just be a code. Yeah. Why does it have to be demonic code? But because okay. then you have to get a demonic translator. Which is just a sort of middle-aged white man balding in a tie. Well, who else is going to study demon code? Buffy? <laughs> so the great pirates, they're trying to bring about the end of the world. Right. With them as the only survivors. Yes. We're kind of getting a more of a window into what they want. So they think that by finding the cross... They will bring about God's wrath to end the world. And, and I just have to they, say, look, They will be the only ones that God spares. I, I haven't seen a single non-white shepherd. That's all I have to say. Or pirate. Yeah, because I was going to say that Father Reggie is Asian. Exactly. But the pirates all seem to be Caucasian, is what you're saying. And Yes, and mm. ghoulish mm. in appearance. We have to question that. We really have to fucking question that. Um, I would say the shepherds are also up to no good Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that then kind of like weakens our argument Mm. but at least they're diverse (laughs) Um, I need diversity in my corruption personally Beck comes through to the office and she's fucking pissed at Hank because he met up with Layla without her and without involving the FBI because of course Layla is a wanted fugitive now because she stole clocks that the FBI was interested in and, and fled the country 
and um, Hank pretty much apologizes. He's like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't have done that. Father Reggie is also back in New York with Layla, and he wants to take over negotiations with Hank because he can see that Layla is too emotionally invested. She's unhinged. Um, you know, she's just, she's confused. She's a woman in love. With Jesus, his holiness, but also with her husband. Much like Peter at the end of the latest season of The Bachelor, you know, yeah. her heart is just torn. Being torn in two different directions. In two different directions. She doesn't have a Barbara, you know. With Madison representing Hank. Hank. And Hannah Ann representing Jesus? Yes. I love that. Okay. That's right. So the shepherds want to take over. And they don't say this to Layla, but they actually plan on killing Hank for the the, uh, clocks. So uh, mm, (laughs) what's next? Hank arranges to meet Layla again, but this time involves the FBI because he listened to what Beck said immediately called Layla back and was like, I know I was just really mean to you and said I never wanted to see you again. Um, But actually, I would love to see you again soon. Hank and Beck have a private moment where she shows up at his house or does he show up at her house? I cannot recall what scene you're describing. It's the moment where we're like, are they having like steam? Well, I felt like they were having steam after she had just gotten shot and he was laying on top of her in the jungle. That's when I first sensed it. So in this scene, she's just talking about how, you know, she knows that Layla knows something about her husband's death. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that Hank would go behind her back and meet up with Layla and not involve her is a betrayal because she's trying to avenge her husband's death. And Hank is like, you know what, I understand, you know, I've... I know what it's like to, like, want answers and to lose somebody. And basically they connect over the fact that his wife abandoned him and her husband died. I and they it. sort of relate those two things. And it just seemed like maybe they were having a moment. But in hindsight, I think it was just kind of awkward and they, they didn't know how to play it. Like, it just... Also, anytime there's two characters alone together in a room, I'm like, oh, wait. Wait, wait could it Are be? They kiss? <laughs> it like doesn't matter I think like, that's oh. what Elite has taught us because that is what happens because anytime two people are alone together it doesn't matter if they're brother and sister or otherwise Correct. something might start happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was an endorsement to watch Elite um, but one fun thing from this scene is that Beck mentions that um, being an FBI agent for her is just a means to an end <laughs> that she doesn't really want to be one um, girl we could all tell <laughs> we knew we noticed we really didn't need you to tell us that you were only in it for one reason and this just brings us back to the the whole confusion of the fact that she somehow was able to in five years become an FBI agent for the sole purpose of avenging her husband and people seem to just let that happen but it, not only that it's not like you know, she is like an FBI newbie. It seems like she has a lot of authority. Yeah, it seems like they really let her kind of be doing her thing <laughs> internationally on her own. Like, okay. So, and she used to be a social worker. So like something's not, something's not clicking. Um, White Vincent, back to him. He has recruited a demonic translator. Can't wait to meet this guy. I was hoping he'd be spooky. I hope he, I was hoping he'd be wearing a cloak, Horns, maybe smoking daggers, split tongue. But yes, fun tattoo. Six 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 is on his skull. Things like that. He doesn't have any of that. He's just kind of a guy. Father Reggie 
calls Hank and says, I'll trade you the clocks for all your answers. You're not going to meet up with Layla, but you can meet up with me and I will give you your answers and you can give me the fucking clocks. So Hank, Rachel, and Aaron concoct a plan. They're at the office. They have all the clocks with them at the office. The fact that they didn't think to maybe divide the clocks or separate the clocks to hide them really boggles my fucking mind. They kept all clocks, all seven of the clocks together. It boggles your mind? In like an air duct. This seems exactly like what I would expect. Like they would just take these like clocks that everybody in the fucking world is after and just leave them in their office all (laughs) together. Yeah. Knowing that like them being together is like the fucking apocalypse. So they concoct a genius plan, which is that Hank leave through the front door with a big (laughs) duffel bag, a big empty duffel bag. And um, Aaron leave through the back door with a big duffel bag. Mm -hmm. And Rachel leave through some kind of side door and get in a car and escape. With a big duffel bag <laughs> full of the clocks. She's because, the only one that has the clocks. Yes. But all seven of them. Because um, for some reason, like, Father Reggie would only be after, like, only knows Aaron and Hank's faces. So he would only be after them or something. Um, well, they would never suspect that a woman, a small white woman, who always looks like she's on the verge of tears, would be carrying, would be carrying. the answers to the universe. Yes. Um, well, it turns out they're right. <laughs> ahead of them because you know Aaron walks out of the office with his fake bag of fake clocks and immediately is followed by shepherds and he runs and they chase him Hank does the same through the front door they chase him down the street he turns a corner and sees Father Reggie with Rachel in a black car with all of the clocks. We don't even see them catch Rachel. That's how quickly they catch her. <laughs> so the genius plan, once again, flubbed. And also, the FBI... Nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. No help. Thank you, but no thank you. Rachel and Hank are now in a car with Father Reggie. Aaron does get away, because he doesn't have any clocks. And he escapes with his bag of nothing. But Father Reggie drives... Hank and Rachel. It might not be Father Reggie, it might be a different shepherd, but they end up meeting Father Reggie where they're going. It's one of them. It's a father. Um, but not the one from the beginning. Once again, he is nowhere to be found. Uh, the one who got his throat slit? Yeah, maybe yeah, well, he's he not a shepherd. He's just a priest. Oh, he's a right. wonderful right. do-gooding. Do-gooding? Do-gooder, you know. Loves Altoids. Beautiful, holy man. Mm-hmm. He's not a shepherd. So... Father whatever drives Hank and Rachel <laughs> into the middle of the woods to a monastery. Um, I don't. How did I know this was a monastery? Are there monks inside? Yes, because they they won't let Rachel inside. They only let Hank inside. I think that's why I assumed. And it was when a they monastery. walked in, they were all in red cloaks. Oh yeah, all wearing cloaks. Okay, so they, a monastery, um, which I'm assuming is a Rosicrucian monastery for, you know, monastic shepherds. But I suppose I could be wrong. Um, and Father Reggie says that apparently it's Hank's destiny to unlock the clock, the clock puzzle and solve all the 12 clocks. Where he gets this information, it's, it's unclear. Where did he find the, the text that would reveal that this was destiny? Mm-hmm. You know, where did he get this information? And why this Hank? 
Why not possibly the other? The previous Hanks. Yes. Um, we may never know. Layla pulls Father Reggie aside privately. They didn't want Layla to have any contact with Hank, and then they brought Hank to the exact church that she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's in the next room over. Yes, and? Um, I'm just saying, nobody seems to... Everybody wants something, and then they <laughs> do things exactly in contradiction with what they want. You know what I mean? It's like, go about the steps to achieve what you want. Don't say, I want to keep you guys apart, and then deliver Hank into her hands. What's not clicking? Right. What's not clicking? I don't know. So she's like, Father, I demand answers. I have to know. You know, this man was my husband, and I just deserve the truth because I was with him for five years. And so Father Reggie immediately lets her into the room with Hank. And she is going to help him solve the clock puzzle because, of course, she has experience as a clock repair woman. She owned a clock shop. In addition to being a criminal, being a nurse. Drug addict. Being a nun, being a drug addict. She also, of course, knows how to fix clocks. So she helps Hank solve this puzzle. And we cut away to the demonic translator, Mm -hmm. who is a man of middle age in a suit vest kind of situation you know casual khakis tie and um he's working with white vincent he's not a pirate he's not a bad guy he's just a scholar that they hired um and while they're working together he's taking too long and white vincent is like definitely having a little bit of an attitude like you need to hurry up with this translation and then a guy comes in oh i'm looking for a mop just like all casual and white vincent pops around and is like who are you i know my whole staff you must be a shepherd spy get out get the hell out of my boat um and then he kills him in a violent knife fight yeah. um in front of the demonic translator who is very disturbed and scared and is like please don't kill me I just feel like if you're a demonic translator, right? Like you've seen things. You just must know that this is a messy business. Mm -hmm. But he honestly didn't seem like he was prepared. Um, But this just raises the stakes for him and just shows that he needs to work harder to translate faster so that he can get the fuck off that boat. Hang and Layla solve the clock puzzle in about one minute of screen time. (laughs) Um, They figure out that the only thing the clocks all have in common, besides being clocks and having gears and having all the things that make a clock is that they all have a face. They all have a glass face, as a clock does. Now, you may remember that one of the clocks was a pocket watch. Yes. The clock from episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, pretend that that doesn't exist, because that's what they're doing. Correct. Based on this image, you would assume that all of the clocks are the same exact size, and they all have the same size clock face, when in fact one of them was a small pocket watch that is now somehow magically turned into a full-size clock. What Don't I, think too hard about it. What I enjoyed from this moment was the assumption that Hank, you know, could solve the puzzle. Despite having solved none of the previous clues, because it was all thing one and thing two. And even in this moment... It's Layla. It's Layla. But remember that it is his destiny. It doesn't really matter who does the legwork. It, who, what's in the stars? What's in the clouds? You know, what does the heavens say? And they say it's Hank. So that's what I say. You know, I'm not one to I'm not one to argue with the ether. I'm not one to argue with destiny, with fate, with with God, with the angels, with the universe, what have you. You're incredible. 
So they stack just the glass parts of the face. They take, you know, like you would take the glass out of a picture frame or something, you know, just the glass and they stack them and then they shine a light through them. It just comes to them really easily, this idea. They they shine a light through it and they line up all of the glass faces based on like a divot they all have. And when you shine a light through it, there is a map of the world. And you can see that the map has a center. And if you mark all of the locations of all the different clocks, all the different cities that he found the different clocks in, they form a, a circle. Mm-hmm. And if you, which it's already a circle because yeah. it's a round clock face, but, but now it's a circle within a circle. <laughs> you following? <laughs> and then at the center of the circle within the circle must be then the location of the true cross. But guess what? The center location, you know, the perfect center of the map, surrounded by the locations of the clocks, is Strasbourg, Germany. I just feel like... The city where it all began. Like Mary-Kate and Ashley, kid detectives, could have solved this, you know, in half the time. But no, no, I'm sorry, you need mystical priests, you need the FBI... You need a journalist. You need his staff of geniuses. Um, you need a nun. Yeah. These are all the people that need to come together in order to solve this very simple puzzle. So it leads back to Strasbourg, Germany, where this all began, where the clocks were built. So in my mind, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? The, the like Has the cross been there this whole time? Yeah. They didn't even move the cross out of Germany, and this was all a wild fucking goose chase. It's genius. We'll see. Is it genius? Because it seems really fucking foolish to me because the (laughs) Nazis could easily have found the cross if they left it in the same city. So now that they've solved the puzzle in about 20 minutes, it's time for Father Reggie to give his answers. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm on the edge of my seat. I mean, I can't wait. I've been waiting, some may say my whole life, for these answers. My asshole on... Whipper, you know, like I'm on the edge of my seat. I have chills. And this is what Father Reggie says. He says, Hank, you're a project of zero hour, a project of the zero hour experiments, the zero hour project. Grower. Zero. We all kind of got that already. Yeah. So that didn't, you know, that didn't blow any minds. Then he says, This is where it gets revealed. He says, the cross, the true cross, holds a power stronger than a thousand atomic bombs. Now I'm wondering, like, is this actual kinetic energy? Like, does it actually, is it a bomb? Or do they mean more of like a a cultural ripple effect? You know, do they mean a spiritual power? Do they mean a physical power? It's not, it's unclear. And then they say, Hank is the detonator. So the cross is the atomic bomb, and Hank is the detonator of the atomic bomb. So then why would it be his destiny to find it? It's just like, I, I, I just, I can't think too hard about it. So, much like Harry Potter and Voldemort, you know, neither can live while the other survives. That, mm-hmm. that thing from the fifth book, right? That's kind of how, that's Hank's relationship to Jesus cross, the, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, right? He cannot live and come in contact with the cross. You know, they can't both be 
on this earth. Well, you know what? One has to go. He's lived a good life. You know, he runs a magazine. He got married. He's lived several lives, apparently. You know, he was a Nazi. Then, you know, he paid his, his dues by dying, I guess. And then was reborn as a mutant. And then was reborn again as a journalist who cannot stop chewing gum. Yeah. So the shepherds try to kill him. Yeah. Um, But they're useless because Layla saves him and they escape. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to the boss lady, the curly-haired boss lady, the pirate leader um, of the 41 Trust, a.k.a. AKA the Great Pirates. And she's in the middle of the desert. And it's unclear um, what desert she's in but she's in like a giant tent with a lot of people laying in beds and it appears to be by our estimation you know more zero hour experiments like there are human experiments going on um and she's getting ready for the end she's preparing for the end she's like doing her part her curls are tight her curls they are so tight um among other things that i'm (laughs) sure are very tight about this woman um she thinks that they're going to find the the cross soon. So, you know, Hank and Layla have the answers to find the cross. But soon, perhaps, so will White Vincent. White Vincent gets his translation of the mnemonic, the demonic code. So he forces the translator to jump off the boat. He says, I'll give you a life jacket. Jump. I'll give you a head start, but you better hurry so you don't get caught in the propellers. He jumps off. He doesn't drown as far as we know, but this is where we lose him. We don't ever see the translator again. He's not important. Let's no. be honest. You know, what's his destiny? You know, it, it's did, not in did, the stars. Did God endow him with a magical destiny? Probably not because he chose to be a demonic translator. Sinner. Um, <laughs> Beck and Aaron somehow find the monastery and they find Rachel. But everyone else is gone. Hank is gone. Layla is gone. The shepherds are gone. And Rachel is like, I thought Hank was with you. I thought maybe you know where Hank was. No. Hank and Layla are on their way to Germany. And we do get one answer, one additional answer. And that is that um, Layla, you know, one of the things that Beck, the thing that Beck is most concerned about is, you know, why wasn't Layla on that flight that her husband died on? Because she was supposed to be on it. And she thinks it's because Layla was warned and that she knew it was going to go down. I find this scene to be a little comical, personally. It's hilarious. So we find out that she wasn't warned. And in fact, it was an act of God. It was an act of divine intervention. Because she got into a, um, a freak car accident on her way to the plane that made her miss her flight. And when she, you know, the car flipped over and the, the taxi driver died... She lived somehow. And the one thing she could see as she lay in the car, as Layla lay there almost dying, was a bus. And on the back of the bus, you know where they would usually say the destination of the bus? Um, are just three numbers. Three, five, two. <laughs> Which we know, of course, that, that's Hank. Hank, Hank is, three, five, is two. three, five, two. And so that's how she knew that it was her destiny to you know, find 352 and, and apparently marry him and be with him for five years and then betray him. Yeah. So that's like a little a little tidbit answer that we get. And then the episode with, ends with Hank and Layla, you know, back together, just the two of them, on their way to Germany. He doesn't trust her, but he sees that she just saved his life, and so maybe she deserves a little bit of trust at this point. 
because she betrayed the shepherds in order to save him. Um, personally, I'm not surprised. She didn't. She didn't seem strong in her convictions. She doesn't loyalty. She's wishy washy. Yeah. She's wishy washy. Yeah. I mean, she just doesn't seem like. You know, is she is she deeply dedicated to Hank or is she deeply dedicated to God? You know, pick pick. You know, choose Madison your side. Or Hannah Ann. Choose your side. Yeah. Are we ready? So that's the end of episode seven. <sighs> episode eight. You know. This was um, very emotional for me going into this episode because... Because you're so fucking done. (laughs) (laughs) Your words, you know. Um, But going into episode eight, you know, we got our... our, The mechanisms, the clock, innards, shifting. Seven. Seven is holy. There's other stuff I don't remember it. I didn't jot it down. I don't care. Um, Look, seven is an important number. Yeah. Yeah. So we flash back to Germany. It's 1938. This is the opening. This is where it all began. We're getting, you know, flashes of, of, of them making the clocks, flashes of them going under the church. You know, the men lifting the crate containing the mm, true cross of Christ from the watery bowels of the church. Mm. Um, mm, watery bowels. Mm. Um, Tell me more. <laughs> so Tell me pre- more. <laughs> in the present, um, Hank and Layla arrive in Strasbourg. And they're bickering. Um, it's cute. They're not really saying anything new or anything that deep. Look, she betrayed him. He's mad. Yeah, they're just not saying anything relevant. She just feels like she needs to be forgiven immediately. Yeah, for betraying him and lying to him for five years. But she does explicitly state, you know, that she is going on this quest to destroy the cross. Layla wants to destroy the cross for God, and for Hank. Here's the thing. No. Bitch, come on. Come on. I'm sorry. You cannot tell me that Jesus wants you to destroy the cross. You cannot tell me that, girl. That does not add up. You are a nun. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Well, did she ever, you know, go through with it? She didn't take her vows. She took other vows. She yeah. took the shepherd vows. Exactly. I'm just saying, girl, it's like, decide. Pick a fucking side. What do you believe, girl? Like, is it Hank? Or is it the cross? Man? The world? I know it's or his holy. The show spirit. is really making us dig, you know, through those heavy themes. Yeah. So the FBI pings one of Layla's aliases. You know, they've got her. They um, apparently know all of her aliases now. Um except they don't, you know, because Layla, you know, she's smart. She's yeah. a spy. She's been a spy for five years. Yeah. She's been a religious spy. Um, so apparently with her unlimited funds, she purchased no. multiple um, flights under yeah. all of her aliases, so they don't really know where she is. This is um, honestly, this goes to show. I mean, she is better at espionage than any of the other characters on the show. And I just feel like when Layla, who's honestly been pissing me off, yeah, is the most competent character well, on the show. She's the only one that ever pulls anything off. It's true. I mean, Aaron and Rachel have solved some stuff with yeah. the help of Meryl Jr., but. It was Layla who pretended to be someone else for like five plus years. Yeah. You know, seduced and married her target, informed on his behavior for many years. Then she was kidnapped by a terrorist and escaped on her own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and has been going, you know, globetrotting. She solved a mystery in Paraguay. And has successfully kept up her um, American accent while delivering some emotional scenes, which we cannot say for everyone on this show. So I'm just saying, like, she kind of has... Yeah. What at least Beck doesn't have. <laughs> so she 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 bought all these decoy flights, yeah. is what you're saying, with all of her different aliases so that they wouldn't know where she was going. So the following scene is, um, again, mostly useless, but you actually hilariously pointed out. Um, at the end of the, the previous episode, Hank um, leaves his phone on, and, and the FBI, they're like tracking him through his phone, yeah. and they find it taped to a pole. That's how he escapes with Layla to Germany as he tapes his phone to a pole so that the FBI can't track his phone. In this current scene, thing one and thing two, Rachel and Aaron are huffing and puffing because Hank's phone keeps going to voicemail. They've apparently been trying to call him and it's been going to voicemail. When we all saw them find his phone taped to a pole at the end of the previous episode. It's just like they're always kept out of the fucking Well, here's my thing is how many phones is he supposed to have? Did... You know, work phone, magazine phone. I, I just phone. then couldn't they? If he had two phones, couldn't they track his other phone? I just don't. It's like they think that we're not watching. Yeah. When meanwhile we're they, watching so closely, I don't think the writers, when they wrote this show, expected that we were going to be taking notes. And that was their downfall. <laughs> we don't miss a thing. <laughs> so, um, Rachel, at the last episode. The reason that why Hank and Layla were able to escape is because the FBI showed up. Um, so, um, creating all the commotion. Creating right? all the commotion. Yeah. So Rachel points out that there there has to be a shepherd mole in the FBI because the shepherds knew in advance that the FBI was going to come and raid the monastery. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So apparently things do get past me because I didn't mention any of that. It's okay. It's okay. I think you're doing oh, amazing. You. Honey. Thank you're you perfect. so much. Thank I'm you. Not, thank not you. coming for you. I love thank you. you. So back at the church, back at Church HQ, it's unclear where this church is. Um, we assume it's the church in, in Australia, um, but really, who's to say? So Father Reggie um, is on the phone, flat-handed. I like that they've made no attempt to track Father Reggie. No. Um, and he calls an unknown man. He's, he's talking with this man on the phone. This man is sweaty. He's shirtless. He's dead in the eyes. He's got scars. He's got tattoos. Oh, I totally forgot about this. He's doing crunches. This was honestly the sexiest part of the show. I agree. It is clear that this is the shepherd assassin. Basically the shepherd equivalent to White Vincent. Yes. He has been tasked with killing Layla because she's betrayed the shepherds, you know? And also Hank. And yeah. But they've always wanted Hank dead. So we're back off the coast of water. We're with White Vincent. You know, he's on his vessel. And um, he is going over the journals, you know, looking at the the translated the journal in the black book, terminology, all mm. that stuff. And um, he is now able to see all of the stops that the submarine carrying the True Cross of Christ took. Took. Um, so he's on the phone with Boss Lady, who. Look, she knows White Vincent is unhinged. She knows this man cannot be trusted. I mean, he he's delivered no clocks to her. You know, he's let people get away, you know. Um, so she gives him a partner because she doesn't think that he is delicate enough to deal with the extraction yeah. of the cross. Um, so this man walks in. Um, he can only be described as sad. 
Well, and the, the funniest thing is that you and I were like, are they ex-lovers? <laughs> because they just, they clearly knew each other. And there was this weird tension between the two of them. I'll get into it. Yeah. Um, but this man just looks sad. Um, so. Should we just call him sad guy? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I literally wrote him as sad man yeah. in my notes. So Layla and Hank take a taxi to the cathedral. Um, again, the cathedral where everything began. And afterwards, this taxi driver is approached by the shepherd assassin, who in the light of day um, kind of looks like a discount Oscar Isaac. Like discount, discount. Discount, He's big, discount. he's strong, but the something in the face says dollar store. Mm-hmm. And buzz cut. Yeah. So the driver is willing to give the assassin Layla and Hank's location, yeah. you know, in exchange for some coins, some bag. Um, yeah. It's just funny because, like, obviously they would be at the church. I mean, like, duh. where else would they go in exactly. Strasbourg besides the place where the clocks were made? But, like, none of these people have, like, logical connections in their brain. Exactly. Um, discount Oscar Isaac doesn't carry cash. You know, know, he's an assassin. You can't expect him to. Yeah. So he just snaps the guy's neck. Gets into with his the, bare hands. With his bare hands. He doesn't hands, carry a weapon either. Gets in the car, pulls up the last GPS location typed. Yeah. And goes about his merry way. Yeah. So, he's a genius. He's a genius. In, back in New York, back at the magazine headquarters, you know, personally in this moment, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about Skeptic Magazine um, because no one else seems to be. Um, but the FBI storms the offices um, and Rachel and Aaron are interrogated. And by that, I do mean that they are lightly questioned in their own office in their own office by their close personal friends Beck, Beck and Meryl <laughs> Jr. Yeah. So during Rachel's questioning, we first of all, I know that this is the first time I realized her name is Rachel. Um but I also realized that she has Kate Mara energy. Kate Mara? Yeah. Yeah. Just like without yeah. the more famous critically acclaimed sister. Yeah. But they have the same... Kate Mara's good. I like Kate Mara. Yeah, she's but, good. But they just have the same energy. They do have a similar energy. That's apropos. So during the scene, um, Beck begs Rachel for answers. You yeah, know, but Rachel doesn't have any. She knows Come nothing. Come on, none of these people um, have answers. But she also brings up the fact that she thinks there's a mole in the FBI. Right. And then we look at kind of Beck's boss, who's this man who we've kind of seen before, but we haven't made note of because he doesn't say anything interesting. It's just like, couldn't Beck be the, the mole? They, that that um, doesn't seem to occur to them as an option. No. So at the cathedral, Hank and Layla find, um, first of all, a giant clock in the middle of the cathedral. What? What would a clock be doing in a cathedral? At the bottom of it, there's a Latin inscription that alludes to... Um, you know, more clocks, bells, nonsense. Um, and they also notice that throughout this clock, there are tiny figures, you know, representative of the 12 apostles. And there's engravings. All coming together. Of each of the apostles' seals. So at this point, um, the assassin enters the church. And look, I'm not going to lie to you. I was turned on. You know, he, he just walked in with a lot of like violent masculine energy and this show is just so bone dry. Like <laughs> like somebody get angry. I cannot be faulted, you know. Muscles, please, something, so, anything. Layla spots him and immediately knows who he is. You know, she runs. I just like that she knew that this this Christian group that she was working for had an assassin and that apparently wasn't a problem for her. I mean, you know, you have to turn a blind eye to a lot of things. You know, for the greater good. So the man doesn't seem concerned about exposure at all. 
Um, no. Because he literally cracks. Because the church is filled with tourists. He cracks a tour guide's, like, neck in front of the whole ass crowd. Um, So there's no PR team. You know, the shepherds are just hoping no one will notice. Yeah. Um, I mean, they would never, they would never tie him back to them, you know, because he's just a renegade. So White Vincent and the sad man are chatting. And honestly, this man is like only getting sadder in appearance. I I noted that (laughs) kind of he has the energy of, of, of a traumatized dog. That's what I got from him. Maybe rescue. Um, He does. And you know, he's got kind of a puppy face. Yeah. Like little puppy eyes. He's handsome. He just looks handsome, but he looks so beaten down by life. Uh, But there is palpable tension. And, and throughout this episode, him and White Vincent talk in code like they do in these shows where they kind of like, a character will just like deliver an allegory, but it's like something really obvious. But they're just like talking about nothing. Mm-hmm. But the writers want us to think they're talking about everything. Yeah, and it's so because maybe they are. Well, White Vincent's just talking about like tea and dreams, and well, because this guy likes to brew him tea. That's why I thought it was sexual because he was like nobody brews the tea like you brew the tea and. I'm just like, oh, I want a sip. <laughs> Sad man, give me a sip. For context, Roberto and I have been <laughs> in quarantine for two weeks. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for what isolation will do to one's sexuality. <laughs> and, and the things that you will look for in um, a show like Zero Hour, which is distinctly unsexual. <laughs> Um, so, oh yeah, so he's talking about tea. Um, anyway, it was enough to make us think they were lovers. So the sad man uncovers, like, another journal and hands it to White Vincent. And this prompts a flashback. Now, it's unclear whether, I think he's reading this man's journals. He's reading the story and we're seeing it. But he's also experiencing it. The way that it's edited makes it look like he's having, like, a Raven Simone, like vision yeah but actually it's just that we're seeing a flashback and um honestly i'd rather get dry socket again than like have to sit through another fucking flashback from the show but you know here we are so but it's a flashback to corbin stern in the submarine and and through the shadows a man emerges a man with the same face as white vincent (gasps) Could it be? I can't even pretend to well, guess. Again, this happened and I was like, Oh, oh so he's a doppelganger too? Yes, and we knew. Um, and this man appears to be kind of like a British officer, I believe. Um, oh, I just assumed he was another Nazi. He was wearing a different suit. Um, it was like blue and mm. I think he had a different accent. It was unclear. But they kept referring to each other as brother, which you know White Vincent loves to call Hank brother, so... Ugh. Anyway, so Layla is droning on about destroying the cross. Um, it doesn't even, Hank like can't even bother listening to her anymore and calls Rachel. Um, but Beck answers it. Um, and then Layla takes the phone. So Layla's now talking to Beck and she's like, look, honey, I will tell you everything you want to know about the flight. The flight I wasn't even on. If you come help us like we need help in germany we have an assassin like sos please someone help me um and and during this phone call it's like why did you dodge the fbi and go all the way to germany to immediately get there and ask for reinforcements and at this time beck is like layla i need to know who the shepherd mole is and i mean layla doesn't know you know she's kept out of the loop um she's a patsy 
Um, but then we get another one of and an, another amazing Layla line. Yeah, where Beck is like, "Why would why would someone do this?" And then Layla's like, "Faith is a lot stronger than a government paycheck." Chills. I think, you know, while I agree with that in concept, um, in these times with our times that we're in right now, I think a government paycheck is going to do me a lot of good. I agree. Um, I would like one, and I think that that's going to help me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So on the boat, the sad man brings White Vincent tea, um, and White Vincent continues to drone. He, he's like alluding to past lives and reincarnation. And we're all just so disappointed that they're drinking tea instead of having gay sex. Well, at this point, we turn to each other and we're like, reincarnation. So are they not clones? Like this whole time we've been insisting that they're clones, and like maybe they're just reincarnated, which I, I that would disappoint me. It would really disappoint me because I want this. I do want this to end up being a science thing, not a magic well, thing. Well, also, log- like time-wise, it. I don't think there would be time for Corbin Stern to be reincarnated three times. Reincar, yeah, yeah. So he would have had to die young both times, and we know that he looks exactly the same. Kind of like yeah. he lives to be forty, yeah, ish. So in a flashback, OG White Vincent is talking to Corbin Stern and tells him that he doesn't want to bury the cross in mud. The plan is to like bury it in the middle of like somewhere. Yeah. Um, but OG White Vincent believes that the cross of Christ should be buried somewhere great. Um, but you know, Corbin Stern um, is a man that sticks to the plan, mm-hmm. um, and he shuts that down real quick. Um, so throughout Germany, I guess the shepherds have eyes everywhere. So literally just like random pedestrians will just like, you know, be giving discount Oscar Isaac, the assassin, like a look and just like nudging in the direction. So he's just like slowly being led to where Hank and Layla are. I just love that the shepherds had people all over Germany and they never thought to maybe like investigate the church where the clocks were built that never occurred honey to them. why do you keep asking these questions why do you keep bringing know. these it's honestly up? it's self-flagellation like, <laughs> I, I really am just trying to make my life harder um so we cut to hank he's in the living room scary music starts to play we see a shadow under the door is it the assassin is it the assassin here to have a threesome with hank and layla like what could it be you know <gasps> Um, no, it's the gang. It's Beck, it's Rachel, it's Aaron, it's Meryl Jr. It's like, why did they bring that bitch? <sighs> Probably in her contract, honestly. <laughs> she's like, I need to be there. I don't even need lines. Oh my god, we just watched her on Smash. I forgot she's So on we're Smash. rewatching Smash. Well, I'm rewatching season one of Smash because I want to watch season two. I'm watching two. it for the first time. And Meryl Jr. is in it. Ugh, but I just can I just mention real quick? Yeah, mention whatever you want. I'm really enjoying Smash. I love Smash. Smash is really fun. Um, but? But... Are what, you Team Ivy or Team Karen? Everybody knows I'm Team Ivy, okay? <laughs> and I just don't want to have to explain myself on this podcast. But I do want to say Dev, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Karen's boyfriend... I'm, is the perfect man. I'm Team Dev. He's the perfect man, the perfect boyfriend. Um, she better marry him at the end. If he betrays her or she betrays him, I'm going to be real fucking upset. And you're going to hear about it on this podcast because I'm going to be really emotional about it. If you guys want to tune into that, um, at Smash, an NBC original musical show, it's on the website. Check it out. Yep. There's two seasons. That's why we can't cover it on this podcast. Oh, Back so to zero We hour. also stick with the rules. <laughs> um. Before they do anything else, Beck needs fucking answers. So she and Layla go to a room, um, and we learn 
that Beck's husband got a grant from the 41 Corporation. The 41 Trust. The, the 41 Trust. The, AKA pirates. the Pirates. So they believe that he discovered something that will bring about the end of days. Once again, that really seems like a leap. Yeah. So the shepherds. Oh, oh, and this is kind of what we learned. I don't know if you mentioned earlier. I might have been drinking wine, um, but just to reiterate, the shepherds believe that God gave them science to engineer the end of days with their own circle as the chosen ones who will repopulate the earth. I mean, earth, it go, checks out. Go to heaven. Like, what What I do they it, plan it, to it do? It checks out. What do they plan to do after the world ends? And they're the only ones Live in paradise alive. with Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. So Layla was tasked with sitting next to him in order to kind of sway him to their side. But because of the car accident, the divine intervention, intervention she, she never got to. So the gang is sitting around trying to figure out the clue. And one of them realizes that none of the 12 clocks actually work, you know? <laughs> none of them tell time. But maybe, just maybe, <laughs> the times that they're all like set to, maybe it's a combination. <sighs> maybe if they return to the cathedral, there's something that they can, you know, put there, there's a lock that they can open using a combination. Just, just genius. And genius. Aaron, you know, um, a film fanatic, apparently, refers to um, an American werewolf in Paris. It's like, if he loves movies so much, how come he hasn't mentioned the Da Vinci Code a single time? Ugh. You're not seeing the connections here? You're not seeing the that. connections? Um, I've watched an American werewolf in Paris. I don't remember there being secret tunnels under the city, but, you know, it was a, a long time ago. Anyway, Isn't the... it an American werewolf in London? Are there two separate movies? Because I've, I've seen one of them. Is it a sequel? An American werewolf. Oh, yeah. The 1981 film is an American werewolf in London, and the 1997 film is an American werewolf in Paris. So I guess I've seen London... But Paris is the one with secret tunnels. Okay. So there are, in fact, tunnels. There's, like, so many movies with secret tunnels. Like, why that one? Um, they go through the tunnels, and Meryl Jr. Um, sits outside and, and, and watches. She's um, the lookout. She's you have the to lookout. have one. It's necessary. So while they're walking, you know, Layla wants to just talk, catch up, you know, what's going on? What's the tea, Aaron? I see you're flirting with Meryl Jr. What's up? <laughs> um, but Layla is nosy. He's not interested. You know, she betrayed them. Um, yeah, like, who wants to be friends with a betrayer? And this really hurts her. You know, the fact that she, she's not getting the gossip, it hurts her. Well, you know what? You're a fucking traitor. Maybe you should have remained a secret spy, and then you could have had the tea without having to ask for it. So in a flashback, um, OG Vincent tries to change, secretly change the submarine's course, but Corbin Stern won't let him. Um, So obviously both men are packing and they pull guns on each other. Um, Of course, we know that Corbin Stern survives because he has to make it to the Arctic. Um, Good job. Thank you. So OG Vincent is shot and as he's dying, you know, he, he holds Corbin Stern's hand and asks... Can man be brothers in heaven? We don't get an answer. I don't know. You just fucking killed this guy. Um, In the present, uh, why Vincent is reading this journal. And um, I wrote that he, 
I thought it was really funny because he looked just really sad that apparently none of the crew members on the submarine care that his doppelganger just got shot. My thing is that he must have already known that he had a doppelganger. That it's unclear. But but he knows that this guy is him. Like he he well, knows. Well, that's the thing. That's it's like. But it's a journal. It? There's no photos. So that's why we're like, is he having a vision? Is he seeing it, or does he just somehow know from reading this that this guy is his doppelganger? We'll never know unless you know we we talk. Unless to the they writers. tell us. I mean, yeah. I guess we'll see. So the gang arrives to the clock at the cathedral, and they find like a closet, and inside there are a bunch of cogs mechanisms. <laughs> And As there would be in a clock. And each are engraved with an apostle's mark. So Layla, of course, the only one, the only useful one, yeah. um, begins to match each like clock according to a certain time on its on its matching smaller apostle piece. Um, and honestly, she she was looking corny. Do you remember this? She was like biting her lip and like yeah. just like I mean, she's doing what she loves, you know, playing with clock gears. Yeah. Um, and each time a clock is set, one of the little apostle figurines moves. So while this is happening, Rachel and Aaron are having um, a, another silent exchange that any, you know, TV viewing audience member will interpret as a mating ritual. Um, they <laughs> they are revealing their love to each other. Um, but or, are they? Well, they're re- revealing their love to the audience. Right. But not to each other, yeah. is what I mean. Um, and... And Aaron tells Rachel, you know, that he thinks of her as a sister. Oh, which, well, God. she doesn't love that, right? She's like, Ugh. but then she gives him like a, a shy smile, and then like sweet music starts to play. Who wants to hear that? So we know that she's like not actually bothered. Ugh, I don't know. It's like, what kind of sister? <laughs> like the kind that you have sex with? Like I'm just like, because <laughs> that's what she wants. So outside, Meryl Junior sees the assassin approach, and she runs inside. So when they get to matching up the the new Matthew clock with the other new Matthew clock, you guys know what I'm saying, Layla realizes that it's a Bible verse, one about forgiveness, in which, you know, God or Jesus tells someone that you should forgive others 70 times 7 times. Basically, it just means like, how it, they're asking the Bible story. Somebody's asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Yeah. Should I forgive him seven times? And Jesus is like, no. And then he's like, 70? And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. Yeah. Which just means essentially like infinite, you know, many, many times. And tearfully, she's, she's like, I'm only asking for one. So basically, she's just making it about her again. Love that for her. Yeah. So Layla shifts the last gear, and a figurine of the 13th apostle emerges from the clock, and he has a little ball in his little hands. And this is the final clue. Um, So at this exact moment, a gun is pulled on the group from none other than fucking Meryl Jr. And I'm going to have to say, I didn't actually see this coming. I did not see it coming. I gasped. I audibly gasped. I was surprised. She is the shepherd mole, and she's here to collect. Um, So Beck pulls a gun, and for the first time in her entire FBI history, she actually makes a shot. She shoots Meryl Jr. in the shoulder. It's like, of course, she can't sink a single shot until it's her friend. Um... (laughs) The gang runs, and the assassin arrives, and immediately kills Meryl Jr. He, like, doesn't even care that they're on the same side because he's so bloodthirsty. Um, anyway, 
it's the next day, I think. They're in the car, they're inspecting the ball, and they realize that inside of the ball is a marble. And inside of the marble, in I Latin... I love that you called it a marble, because I was calling it an orb, and a marble is a much better word for what that thing is. Inside of it is the location of the true cross of Christ. Of course, of course. The Faroe Islands. Now, of course, this is a huge revelation. You know, this should be where the episode ends. But, you know, this show has, loves to just pack us with those they twists. Give us so much when we've asked for so little. So, Beck is given footage, you know, of White Vincent's whereabouts. She sees footage from the boat that he's been on. And instantly, her world is rocked. Because she sees... The sad man. And the sad man is in fact her husband. Theo. So the thing is that that twist, low key, the twist of of the mole being Meryl Jr. followed by the twist of Beck's husband being alive, not terrible. Not terrible twists. Like there was a little bit, like I was surprised. I was surprised. I was surprised. So I'm, I'm going to have to but say I think I was surprised because just by overthinking this show during this podcast, I don't think about this show at all. You, As we've mentioned before, you kind of have to shut your brain off while watching it. Yeah. So you're just I'm not, not anticipating the next event because I'm not thinking that about concerned. It. <laughs> yeah. So this is it. This is the final, not the final episode, but the final episode we're covering in this Zero Hour Part 2 Recap. So, Episode 9, which is titled Balance. I didn't write the names of the other episodes that I covered, and I didn't bother to look them up, but Episode 9 is Balance, and it begins with, Eight is forever alive without end. Which, I didn't understand, and then I remember the eight on its side is the infinity symbol, but I, like, am just realizing that now. Um, so the poem is, Eight is forever alive without end. The most brutal murder is that of a friend. Finally, I remember the rhyming couplet. <laughs> so it opens with the flashback of the OG White Vincent, the, um, the you know, 1940s White Vincent, his doppelganger, but to his dead body, being released in the middle of a great storm. And um, Corbin Stern, you know, Nazi Hank, is is releasing his body sort of somberly. The episode begins with a storm. It ends with a storm. <laughs> so we are on a small plane descending to the Faroe Islands. And we... Do you think the FBI is paying for it? Do you think that's the, what it is? the flights? Well, sure, if Beck is with them. But when Beck's not with them, who's paying? The shepherds are paying for Layla, I guess. I can't There's some it. embezzling going on with, with, with Frank's company. With Frank. With Hank. Hank is definitely embezzling. That's all I have to say. I mean, look. I mean, he is using his company's money for his personal gain. I think that's safe to assume. So then we get a flashback that no one asked for of Beck and her husband, Theo, before his death. And this is revealed to be the last time she ever saw him before he got on the plane that crashed. They're on a roof garden. She has a cute side braid. She has a side braid. Um... Her hair's, like, brown, like a lighter shade. Um, So that's how you can tell it's a flashback. Also, her dead husband is alive. So that would also (laughs) be a sign. Of course, now we've discovered he has always been alive. But 
they're in this roof garden in the middle of New York City. They have essentially a greenhouse on their roof. So, you know, they're not poor. And he is um, a biologist or, you know, he's a, he's a plant aficionado. And they're having a conversation about how, you know, he always wanted kids. And she always said she didn't. But she's changed her mind. And she wants kids now. And he's so excited. And they're so in love. It's nice to see the sad man with a smile. You know, he seems really excited. And, but he has to catch a plane. And, she, and she's just like, go, you're going to miss your flight. And he's like, oh, but how can I get on a plane right now? I just want to make babies with you. I want to be a father. I love you. I want to have your, your children. Um, and then, you know, he leaves. And that's the, the last time she ever sees him. So that just kind of foreshadows, you know, what's to come. Because she's thought he's dead. Last time she saw him, they were going to start a family. So then we cut to present day, Theo. And of course, um, as we mentioned before, he's sad. Very. Um, that's about all I got out of the scene. Yeah. Then we cut to Hank's parents. <laughs> Hank's parents, who we remember, you know, are liars. They're keeping secrets. You know, they, they said they found Hank in a duffel bag. We don't believe. We don't buy. They are having a conversation, and they are saying that they don't want him learning the quote-unquote truth from anyone else but them. So they know that Hank is on his way to discover some things that are going to be challenging for him. And they think that they should, you know, he should get that information from them. Well, here's the fucking thing. He asked. He gave you the opportunity to tell him the truth, and you didn't. And now he's going to get the truth from somewhere else, and now you want to fucking cop. Now you want to fucking cop to it and tell us the truth? Maybe it's too little too late, mom and dad. It's just a little too late. So they arrive at the Faroe Islands, Hank, Beck, and Layla. Beck immediately splits off because Hank and Layla are offered after the cross of Christ. But Beck, you have to remember, she doesn't care about the fact that she's in the FBI. She only wants to find her husband. Frankly, she doesn't want to be in the FBI. No. So she heads off to find Theo, who she knows is somewhere at the Faroe Islands on this boat with White Vincent. Then we cut back to Boss Lady at her lab in the desert. And she is looking over a laboratory room full of newborn babies. Are they clone babies? Are they reincarnated babies? Are they babies that have had experiments done on them? I don't know. Then we cut to Layla and Hank. Layla says to Hank that she is very scared of losing him. Bitch, you already lost him. You already lost him by being a liar and a traitor. And Australian. But she's afraid he's going to die. She's also afraid of a possible apocalypse. Fair. That's right. Even though it was her idea to destroy the cross, she's now starting to wonder if it's going to bring about the end of the world. And it's just now occurring to her that that's a possibility. Um, Hank says that, you know, he doesn't believe that God could be like that. That God could be um, all about retribution and punishment, you know, and vengeance. And Layla's like, God? Do you believe in God? And he's like, you know, I believe that there's something beyond our understanding. Because, you know, we know that he was pretty much an atheist when the show began, but he's seen all of these... He's a skeptic. He's a skeptic. A modern skeptic. But he's seen all of these things that have, you know, kind of changed his mind. So he's thinking maybe there's a god, maybe not. Layla's really stoked because, you know, she was an almost nun. So her faith is important to her. And in this moment, I am personally just... Mourning the loss of the assassin, you know, 
his dead eyes, his masculine. The delusion energy. that we were under that yeah. Theo and White Vincent were lovers. Uh, we're mourning it all the death. comes crashing down. In yeah, this because it turns out none of that was made for our pleasure. So White Vincent calls up Hank, and are you getting up? Oh, Do you just, need water? Yeah, will you get me some yeah, water? I'll get you some water. It's like, I'm, I'm just on a roll right now. <laughs> so, you know, White Vincent calls Hank, and he says that I'm going to find you, and this time I'm going to kill you. Basically, he's referencing that in the 40s, um, or, the th- or the 30s, um, you know, Corbin Stern killed White Vincent's doppelganger, because somehow he knows that. And now White Vincent is going to avenge his doppelganger's death by killing Hank. So, Hank doesn't really seem too bothered by this. I mean, look, it's, it's a tale as old as time, you know? We saw it on the Vampire Diaries. We've seen it on... What's the only thing I know about? Doppelgangers and clones. But is there, like, vengeance for... Like, I don't know, Catherine's always wanting to kill Elena, right? But Elena is her doppelganger. She's not trying to kill the person that killed her in her previous life. I'm saying the connection's weak. <laughs> um, Beck immediately finds her way onto the correct ship. Like, I don't even see her put in any effort. She just, like, walks onto a ship that is the ship that White Vincent and Theo are on. Look, the Faroe Islands aren't huge, but I thought it was going to maybe take her the length of the episode. No. Um, it doesn't. We do not have time for that. Rachel and Aaron are back in New York. And because they never get to go anywhere fun. Look, because they have to stay home and do the actual work. And they are... They have recruited the Nazi scholar, the guy who's obsessed with Nazis, to give them more information. I personally am so tired of seeing this man on my screen. But This man? This is the man that you're tired look, of? Look, I'm, I'm tired of most of the men in the show. <laughs> and you know what? Most of the women also. But, you know, they're talking to him, whatever. And, um... He gives them pictures because, you know, he's an expert on Corbin Stern. He gives them pictures, and in one of the pictures, they see Corbin Stern next to the white Vincent doppelganger. And that's when they know that something's up. Because, you know, of course, up until now, they didn't know that white Vincent was also a doppelganger. And you know, one doppelganger, shame on you. But two, shame on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Nazi scholar sees that they have a picture of the terrorist White Vincent taped to their wall. And he also makes the connection that they're doppelgangers. And now he's like, there's something you're not fucking telling me. And you need to tell me because you owe me. Um, And they just make him leave and give him no answers. But he does make sort of empty threats that he's going to do whatever it takes to get answers. Everyone on the show is doing whatever it takes to get answers. And guess what? None of them are getting answers. <laughs> so, you know what? And like, you can try and put your time in, friend, but you're not a leading man. You're you not know the who lead- probably has answers? The ghost child? The one who can't talk? Mm. I will never hear them. Not from his mouth. <laughs> so, whatever. The Nazi guy leaves, but now Rachel and Aaron know that there's a double doppelganger situation. Next thing you know, Beck has found Theo. He is in shock even though white vincent actually warned him that she was arriving at the faroe islands he's in shock when he sees her and she just is like overwhelmed she's hugging him oh oh theo come with me i don't even think she kisses him and um he won't go with her he will not leave with her he's very he's in love with white vincent i hope (laughs) you know he's so stoic and he's so sad but he says to her this is the place that i belong now is on this boat with White Vincent. 
Um, you know, it seems as though he's been either he was lying to her during their marriage, or he's, he's disgusted at how bad an FBI agent she is. Probably it. You know, she used to be a social worker. She used to care. And now, you know, what is she? You know, she's a terrible shot and, you know, a terrible FBI agent. But, no, he um, he won't go with her. And it appears that perhaps he's been um, brainwashed. So she's like, what are you talking about? And she grabs him and tries to leave with him. And he screams. And he alerts White Vincent to her location. So White Vincent goes after her, and he's trying to shoot her, and he's trying to capture her, but she escapes. She jumps off the boat and escapes, but without Theo. This is hard. This is a hard pill to swallow because she's been looking for him for, you know, five years and trying to avenge his death, and now she finds him alive and he won't go with her. I mean, it's sad. It's beautiful. It's tragic. So Hank is in Germany, and he's trying to solve the puzzle in the glass orb, the marble orb. Because the marble, it said, you know, it said Faroe Islands, but the Faroe Islands are a collection of islands. It's I mean, not in Germany. Did I say Germany? Yes. Oh, I, I meant the orb from Germany. Got it. The got orb it. is from Germany. Everyone is at the Faroe Islands. He's, oh, he's the Faroe Islands. He's in his really nice Airbnb with Layla. He has the German orb, right? The marble that says, you know, Faroe Islands. But that's not enough information because this is one cross. So where is it in the Faroe Islands? You know, there's many places where it could be. So he's trying to solve the puzzle because the location must be here in this marble. And he finds that there are numbers um, inside. Ah! Well, he's so the, he like counts the marble. The... There's like colors and stuff, and he yeah. counts them or something. He like counts stuff, and he comes up with numbers. Um, and I didn't write them down. It's like seven thirty-four. 112 or something they're numbers um and Layla sees them written on a piece of paper and she's like where did you get these numbers and he's like I got them from inside the marble and she's like these are the most important numbers in Christian numerology and then she explains the Christian numerology to him I didn't know there was a such thing as Christian numerology <laughs> well it was like three you know father son holy spirit right, Trinity, 12 12 12 apostles and then another number like other yeah um so cool um and then she also notes that there's a passion flower inside of the marble. Now, the passion flower, the pattern in which the passion flower grows, actually contains those numbers, those three numbers that are important in Christianity. And that's why the passion flower is important in Christianity. And also, apparently, there's a legend that where Jesus died, like on the hill with the cross, that a passion flower grew there after his death, even though they can't actually grow in that climate so it was like a miracle so she just gets all excited that you know there's these numbers and this passion flower and this must be a clue rachel and aaron determine the subway's course through x-ray technology so they x-ray the book that white vincent found i don't know how they get this information do you remember i didn't write it down I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even so know what this the, scene is. So the the way that... Because, you know, Hank and Layla found their way to the Faroe Islands. Yes. Through this marble. Yes. White Vincent found his way to the Faroe Islands through the submarine records yes. of where the submarine had to stop. So somehow Rachel and Aaron have also gotten a hold of this map. 
and they send it over to Hank because the map has more details. It doesn't just show the Faroe Islands. It shows the location where the submarine would have stopped. Maybe Ray, maybe Beck took a photo when she was on the boat. Yeah, and maybe sent that. sent it to them. And... Yeah, I, it's not important, <laughs> obviously. But they get, they get the same submarine log that White Vincent has. And this has more detail because it shows exactly where the boat would have stopped to fuel. Not just the collection of islands at large, but like which island and like where they stopped. Um, Hank's father is desperately calling Rachel, saying that he needs to get in touch with Hank, but then Hank isn't answering his calls. Rachel refuses to tell Hank's dad how to reach him, but she says that she'll tell Hank, you know, that to contact his father. Layla is looking at a map of the Faroe Islands, and she realizes they're not looking, because at first she's like, we should find a passion flower on this island, like a single flower. Um, and of course, Beck, who has returned and joined them because she couldn't find her husband, Beck is like, why the passion flowers can't grow here in this climate. It's too cold. Like so. read a book, Layla. And Layla's like, miracles, uh, miracles. Miracles happen. So um, she's looking at a map and she realizes they're not looking for a flower. There's actually a chapel on the island called Passion Flower Chapel. Come on, y'all. Uh, it was right there in front of you. It boggles my mind that it wasn't their first instinct to check churches and chapels, given the context surrounding this entire... Under, look, they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Banks, Beck's husband is alive and maybe bisexual. You know, <laughs> Layla has no IDs or credit cards. Because um, she's lit all of them on fire. And Hank is probably going to get arrested for embezzling. So so Layla, Beck, and Hank get in a Jeep and they start driving to this chapel. And whilst this is going on, whilst they're in the car, Layla starts grilling Beck on what her beliefs are. And this was funny to me because Layla's like, why are you so invested in all of this? You never tell us why you're invested. You never tell us, you know, what your beliefs are. You know, do you really believe in the cross of, of Christ? You know, what are your motivations? Layla, honey, her motivations have always been to avenge the death of her dead husband. And also she works for the FBI. And you're a fugitive of the FBI. So that, so why are you, like, there's no reason why, but she just, she needs to grill her on her beliefs. Layla doesn't get her answers that she desires because Beck is just like, I don't feel the need to like force my beliefs down other people's throats. Like if I'm not getting answers, neither is Layla. But it seems like maybe she does believe in God, blah, blah, blah. None of us really care. Um, two massive thunderstorms begin to collide over the islands. Obviously this is an act of God. Um, Aaron is concerned as he looks at the weather forecast um, <laughs> for their safety because you know, one thunderstorm is tough, but two? Like, who's going to run this magazine? Two thunderstorms? So, now Boss Lady, who was a minute ago in the middle of the desert, is now back in New York, and she shows up at the Modern Skeptic's office. And so does Hank's dad. <gasps> so they show up, they're like, you know, Boss Lady shows up with her goonies, and they're like, give us answers and Rachel and Aaron are like we don't have answers and then Hank's dad shows up and is like give me answers 
where's Hank? And they're like, we don't have answers. <laughs> and then Hank and um, Hank's dad and boss lady recognize each other. They like know each other from something, they do. which like of course they do because how else would he have gotten this clone son? Like we know he, we know this dad is up to no good. Like I don't at this point like nothing will surprise me. Hank, Layla, and Beck arrive at the chapel, and Layla is getting increasingly afraid of the end of the world, as we all are. Let's be honest. We're all kind of getting a little concerned about it. Um, But Layla is afraid that God is sending them a sign that the end of the world is coming because of the storms. It's like, well, maybe you should have expected this earlier when you first decided you wanted to destroy the cross of Christ. You know, did did you not think then that maybe God was going to stop you? Um, But it took her this long, and now she's afraid. Um, So they they find the chapel, and they're in the chapel, and this is, I don't have a lot of notes on this episode because it's more, it's a more of a fast-paced episode than previous ones, but they find their way into the chapel, and it it seems like there's nothing there. They're looking around, they're not finding any clues, they're not finding any clocks, you know, but they have this orb, and then um, they go into like a little hallway in the chapel, and there's a window. And across from the window is a wooden statue of Jesus Christ. And this statue is missing an eye. (laughs) But his eye that he has is glass, much like the marble that Hank holds in his hand. So Hank, you know, he's a learned man. He's he's smart. He inserts the, the marble into the eye socket of the Jesus statue. I just feel like why has no one on the Faroe Islands ever looked at this, like, haunted Jesus and been like, should we just, like, give him an eye? Like, he might need an eye. That's the thing is every single church that they go to is has been preserved since the 40s <laughs> to be exactly as it was left, apparently. What what also confused me is he, he puts the eye into Jesus and then he stands behind the statue and looks through it. So... There's a hole in the back of Jesus's head so that you can look through his eyes. Well, because at first it like showed us that. I didn't see the holes. I just saw that it was, of course, built out of wood and there were nails. So my instinct was like, oh, this is the cross. Yeah, Roberto was like, the cross has been turned into a sculpture of Jesus. And I was like, there's no way they can prove that. (laughs) He looks through Jesus's eyes there's definitely a metaphor in there somewhere but we're not going to analyze it because who cares and through the eyes of Jesus through the window across from Jesus as he turns the eye sockets he turns the marble eyes it creates an illusion it creates I wish you could all see Abby right now because I'm rotating my own eyes I'm creating an illusion (laughs) And, you know, he sees through the window the field outside and a cross glows over the field. And this shows them the spot in the field where the cross must be buried. Through this, you know, fun sort of, you know, national treasure-esque. God's not dead. National treasure is such a great movie. Oh, it's a great movie. And so is National Treasure 2. And Mm -hmm. this show fucking wishes. They fucking wish that they had what it takes to recruit the great Nicholas fucking Cage. Do you think that's that was the selling point? Like, Anthony, baby, honey, you could be Nicholas Cage. This is your Nicholas Cage. I think the code. vibe was more Da Vinci, da Vinci code. code than... Well, then, you um, can be Tom Hanks. And you know what? He can be a lot of things, but he can't be Tom Hanks. No one can. We love you, Tom. 
thoughts are with you. So um, they go outside to where, you know, the window has revealed the, the cross to be and they begin to dig. Then we cut to White Vincent and Theo. And they're in the woods, and they're also digging. Because based on the submarine logs, they feel that they have found where the cross is buried. So they're digging, and they're digging, and they're like, this is it, this is the box, this is the crate that the cross is in. But then they open the crate. And what is in the crate? Tell them. Tell them. It's not a cross. It's not Jesus. It is... Layla's IDs. <laughs> no. It is White Vincent's doppelganger's dead body. Mm-hmm. And this is ex- like initially very upsetting to White Vincent. I get it. If I opened um, a casket and saw myself dead inside, I would be um, rocked. I would be upset by that. So he's upset. And he's been, like, preserved because these islands are cold. Yeah, so you can, like, see the face, and the face is the face of White Vincent. So he's clutching a note to his chest, the dead body. And White Vincent grabs the note, and he reads it. Um, I'm assuming it's in German. He's German. He speaks German. And it's a beautiful note written by Corbin Stern about how... You know, White Vincent, the the senior, dead White Vincent, was an amazing friend and an amazing officer. And it is a great, great loss. And this moves current day White Vincent. You know, a second ago he wanted to kill Hank, but now he sees that, that they're brothers and that they love each other. And so, you know, you can see in his eyes that he's decided to spare Hank's life. Is that what you got from all of that? That's what I got. Is that not what you interpreted that to mean? I, probably, I mean, I have no interpretation. You know, after White Vincent comes to this conclusion that he's going to spare Hank's life, we get to catch back up with Hank, Beck, and, of course, the infamous Layla. And they are digging up the spot that they believe that the cross of Christ is buried. And as they are digging... Mm-hmm. Um, a menacing flock of birds begins to descend overhead. They're circling, they're descending, you know, they're ravens or crows, you know, they're black, they're threatening, they're loud, they're, they're, you know, and they're, you know, kind of like, thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, it was so off the cuff. And they, um, to Layla, this is another sign because, you know, even though, it was her idea in the first place to dig up the cross. You know, this was all her master plan. Look, either Hank or the cross. As we know, they cannot coexist. But she didn't seem to be worried about that literally a day ago. But now that now that it's actually happening, she really regrets it. And she doesn't want them to do it. And, you know, Beck and Hank have been working a long time for this. And they've been through a lot. I would say that um, Rachel and Aaron have been working a long time for this. Um, I think that Hank's been vacationing. Well, you know what? It's time for him to fucking step it up. So they're digging, they're digging, they're digging. The birds... Layla's like, stop, no. The thunderclouds. And then they open the crate. And what is in the crate? Fucking tell them. Tell What is in the crate? Is it a dead body? No. Is it a crow? No. Is it a baby? Possibly. It's not. It's not. Is it a doppelganger? (gasps) Is it a clock? No. It's none of those things. You know what it is? Mm. It's nothing. 
There's nothing in the crate. There's nothing in the crate. Much like this show, there's nothing. You know, we've been searching. We've been fighting. We've been digging. You and I have essentially been thing one and thing two. We've been working so fucking hard. And what's in the goddamn crate? Nothing. Nothing. So what is in the crate is um, nothing. But there is some, some wood shavings. You know, some some sort of debris <laughs> and some bugs, some insects, dead ones. They're not moving. And, you know, they assume, they don't assume that someone else got there first. They assume that the cross has been destroyed over time. Um, because, of course, when it was buried in 1938, they didn't spray anything on it to protect it. I don't know. Um, so, of course, over however, you know, many years, um, the cross would sort of biodegrade, question mark? Rot? Rot, right. Right. Plus what appears to be some sort of species of... Bug. bug. Sort of eat it up, you know? So there's nothing there, and everybody's disappointed. But also, Layla, I think, is kind of relieved because she thought that the world was going to end. And now it's like, Hank and the cross aren't together but also it's like if the cross has been destroyed this whole time then shouldn't the world have ended question mark or once again you cannot think about it i just just i just don't know i I smell a rat i do what i fucking do know what is that if marlene king the creator and showrunner of pretty little liars had been in charge of this they would have opened the crate there would have been something inside there would have been a key that led to a lockbox that led to a map that would have ended up in a porcelain doll store <laughs> with a porcelain doll that looks like Boss Lady. Holding a miniature cross of Christ? Holding a miniature cross of Christ. Because it was shrunk through magic. Yes. Amazing. And then one of the girls would tuck it in between their cleavage. And that's what Freeform would give us. <sighs> better days. I mean, better days and better television. So they're all, you know lamenting that there's nothing in the crate and it's time for this episode to finally fucking end who arrives but white vincent and theo and they are um you know they're they're toting guns because they want the fucking cross they want the fucking cross but there's no cross there so then it's a stalemate it's a standoff we have layla we have beck we have hank on one side like look there's nothing in here hank is like standing in the box like there's nothing here and then we have white vincent theo and their lackeys you know with the guns ready to shoot them up and then we fade to fucking black we do we fade or do we cut this is more of a cut to black we cut to black and it's over but the show is not because there is still the finale left tune in four more episodes before we sign off what do you think we're going to get from these last four episodes? And what do you feel we're going to get? What would Is there you, a difference? Sorry, what would you like and what do you think we're going to get? That's what I mean. I would like... Gay sex. Gay sex. <laughs> That's what we always say. I would like... Bless you. I would like to not get the coronavirus by Definitely. the end of this show. I would like there to be... A reunion between Theo and his wife. I want him to explain himself. I want the world... Actually, you know what I would like? I would like it to end with the apocalypse. I think that would kind of rock if the world ended at the end. 
what I think is going to happen, I think um, they're probably going to find the cross and there's going to be some kind of secret revealed and neither the shepherds nor the pirates will win and there will be no apocalypse and Theo and Beck will live happily ever after and Hank and Layla will get back together and they'll take down the bad guys and I do think that Rachel and Aaron will be together eventually. That's what I expect. I expect it to go the way of, you know, loose wrap-up. Good guys versus bad guys. I envision Theo getting shot. And actually dying after all this time. And, and revealing some, revealing his true love for Beck and then giving her a little piece, a little something-something, you know, like a secret. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, the truth is... The truth is, I'm... Jesus. Yeah. Um... That's all I envision, really. I'm looking forward to it being over. I think, once again, it's one of those things where I'm not thinking about this show, so I have no expectations. Yeah. But we are going to watch it, so wait for us, and we'll fucking recap it for you. We're also going to do some minisodes, because obviously, you know, we're all doing quarantine. Um, we love you. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Follow stay us on safe. Instagram, at Dearly Departed the Pod. Follow us on Twitter, at dearly de podcast um venmo me at abigail sb um make sure to check out mackenzie's store mackenzie's store we plugged it earlier in the episode oh at hill valley vintage on instagram and um stay home stay home watch something good something delicious yeah and we'll be back love you dearly departed is brought to you with love sweat tears and boxed wine Our theme song is by Ben Muller of Low Ceilings. His music is available on Spotify and Bandcamp. Follow at Low Ceilings Music on Instagram for updates. Artwork by Hunter Bustamante, who you can also follow on Instagram at Hunter Bustamante. Till the next cancellation.